0: Deezer Originals Trailblazers (laughs) DJ Fresh
1: Hello, my name is Eddie Temple Morris, and welcome to another episode of Trailblazers, the podcast that goes deep into the lives of dance music's most impressive impresarios. And in these strange times of isolation and separation, it falls to me to introduce each episode of the new season. And this episode sees Nick and I talk to Dan Steen, aka DJ Fresh. Now, it was the last Trailblazers episode to be recorded before lockdown and we were kindly invited to Dan's Countryside Home to do this one. Now I have to apologise in advance for the sound quality of this one not being to the usual high standard but while the audio quality isn't great the fact that we've known each other for a long time and been so close uh, is and led to a really interesting, honest and illuminating chat. Let's get into it.
0: Trailblazers
1: Today's Trailblazer is a producer, DJ, musician, songwriter, arranger, record label boss and our second luminary from the world of drum and bass. But this Trailblazer has expanded from there. If you poll drum and bass fans now and ask what the most beloved tune of all time is now, a frightening number of them will say The Nine by Bad Company. This will bring a smile to this man who is a founder member. But it was him. And not our last D&B legend, Goldie, who wrote and released the genre's first ever number one record and then just to show he was no one-trick pony, he had dubstep's first number one as well. Aside from all this, he and Adam F signed D&B's most genre-defining stadium rockers, Pendulum and he's living, breathing proof that nice guys don't come last. DJ Fresh. Dan, welcome <laughs> to Trailblazers. Thank you, good to be here, and lovely to be here in uh, in your studio. The, mm. the, the, the the last person whose studio we recorded in, uh, you know, o- outside of
2: the normal places we do these things mm. was was Fat Boy Slim, was Norman Cook. Exactly, and that was a, a trip uh, to the seaside. And today we're in the countryside, and it's it's nice to be out of London again, isn't it? Isn't it lovely? Yeah, it's good. So thanks for making us uh, feel so welcome, Dan. We Pleasure. appreciate it. We appreciate it. So I uh, yes, it's traditional for me to dive in with the the first question, and. Uh, um, actually, just before I do that, a quick public service announcement. I just want to say well, um, uh, full disclosure I used to manage you as d j fresh still do manage you uh, for your uh, role in bad company u k so um so, so I just thought I'd, I'd mention that in case anybody's interested look you've, you've had success hey Nick when are we going to get the money for that licence man <laughs> <Just joking. Yeah. laughs> well, another time another time yes surely. yes yes That's, well you know what that would be interesting documenting <laughs> real live conversations between between artists and managers actually wouldn't it my goodness how entertaining that could be some of the I'll things I'll go get the hacks yeah some of the, <laughs> how, how entertaining some of the things that get discussed there but look what I wanted to to say Dan was. You've had success as an artist, and uh, you know, and as a record label owner. You've you've really had a, a great view of the industry from multiple angles. I wondered what what would be a key piece of advice that you'd give to to somebody who who wanted success in the industry these days, in the same way that you've enjoyed it. So so
3: I, I'd probably say in this day and age, the most important thing that a new artist needs to be focused on unfortunately is social media
2: mm. Mm.
3: um which is maybe a controversial i feel as though you want to say social media I, first yeah, and well, then and I, then being I feel, talented i kind of feel like being talented and making great music seems kind of obvious do you know what i mean or it's it's such do you know what i mean it's you'd like i would imagine anyone, a, anyone who listens to your podcast yeah. will take it for granted that you know that you have to make great music right at least I I, I don't know, maybe I just take that for granted, you know what I mean? But I think that's the kind of surprising thing, the way that things are going these days, that social media and having a a presence outside of making music has become such an important um, driver. Yeah. We were sort of just chatting about Mm. this earlier, weren't we, Mm, mm, mm. about, you know, how a record label these days, when a new artist gets brought to them, The first question they often ask is, well, how many Twitter followers have they got? How many Facebook fans do they have? And um, I think it's both, a, a, you know, for, for me being a bit of an old school head, it's a it's a worrying trend. But it's also very much part of the way that young people relate to. To, to people you to know the world. To, to people it they is. look up to to the world these it, days yeah it
2: certainly is just the way that you approach releases as an artist has it changed from that point where you're just knocking out really underground records to the point where you're having big hit records has it been a very big change of difference of mindset it,
3: yeah i guess I, I mean i think there's kind of you know a couple of different strands to that for me personally in terms of like the way that Music is released, kind of relating mm. more to what we were just talking about. Mm. I think that the idea of creating a body of a wor- of work, as we call the mm. LP, the yes. album, yes, you know, making a statement with it is something which, unfortunately, has become no longer such a viable. Option for for record labels for the most for the most part not for for every type of artist certainly for electronic music you know Um, and so I think everything's become much more about having these succinct like. Big moments, you know, rather yeah. than being able to go, "Hey guys, here's like a little song." Here's a of journey of different, of different emotions. Parts of who I am, and because you know,
2: you're right, do, you know, do music consumers, you know, to a lot of them, do they want that experience these days? That journey, that body of work thing, or you're right, are they just happy to? Get multiple <laughs> sugar. Know, just, I'm just giggling
3: because I'm just thinking of a word that I know you guys will have heard all too many times. It's something mm. like, to me, this is actually a word that comes from the old music industry the filler.
2: Yes. Yes, a filler, <laughs> like the filler, 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 filler track.
1: track.
3: Yeah, yeah. Yes. I used to read, Somebody reviewed an album that yes. i would written and referred to one of the tracks as a filler. I yeah, always bit of a used, filler. I yeah. used to feel that wasn't supposed to be a filler. That was that, supposed to be the fucking ham. I know. Yeah, I, I know.
1: But back to, the, to, to, to your to your original answer to that question, and you, know, you said social media. You know, you are a private person. Like compared to a lot of pop stars that we know and Mm.
3: met so how do you interface with it all i really don't enjoy um sort of having to think about social media and it's definitely something that i find harder these days with you know management nick not included record labels people around you wanting you to push things on social media. I kind of came from a world, especially in drum and bass, where I remember when I first started out, you would never, ever see a picture of a drum and bass artist smiling in a photo. Mm. It was almost like if you smile, you know, you kind of knew that you just couldn't smile. Yeah, I don't know yeah. why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Know why it's true. Not? It's really well, true. Because it,
1: well, it was, I mean, it was a dark art. When, first, <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when yeah. drum and bass first came along, it was dark and it was urban and it was gr- grimy uh, in the old sense of the word. Mm. Yeah. There was mystery.
3: Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Which, which is now kind of missing. I always used to enjoy the mystery of somebody that i respected musically you know i like i like the fact that they weren't totally attainable mm. um that maybe you I mean, I say maybe you had to dig a bit deeper, but maybe you didn't even have to dig a bit deeper because you just, you dug through the music, you listened to the, the music, you loved what you loved about the music. I remember thinking with um, The Cure, who who were a band that I was a big fan of when I was a kid, half the time I couldn't even understand what the fuck he was saying, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I kind of liked that because it was like you couldn't understand the words. You kind of came up with your own interpretation of what yeah. the words meant. Yeah, and. Yeah. In a weird sort of way, there's a bit of a metaphor there for the way that we appreciate music you know when you when you put too much granularity too much detail too much background around a piece of music it's it takes away the magic do you know what i mean yeah
2: to a certain
1: extent it does you know we grew up with vinyl and we were pouring over every detail and wanting to know every word and wanting to know where it was recorded who engineered it and all those little things that was the sort of information you know Mm. don't get me wrong
3: gangnam style was brilliant (laughs) You know, and I'm sure it would have been fantastically successful without him doing that dance and all the rest of it. Mm. I'm being ridiculous here. Old Town Road is a a good example, you know, of how something can just emerge from social media and that can drive pretty much everything about
2: it. Yes. So it's
1: become so important. You're right. Or there's the flip side to the coin, which is that, And we we have to talk about this because as we record this, it's only a matter of days, not even a week, since Andrew Weatherall died. There's an example of somebody who didn't interface with it in any way, shape, or form, and still was incredibly influential. Could sell out any gig he did. Could sell out a festival in which, in Carcassonne, in which he would only <laughs> program bands, you know, electronic artists that nobody had ever heard of, and this is all without social media. But mm. the
2: the but mm. here, though, is that he emerged onto the scene in 1988 or 1990 and rolled on from there you know can a big question is can an artist in 2020 can the new weather all take the same sort of approach and come through to a similar level today that's a really good question is there a uh, a young
1: like hot up-and-coming artist now that refuses to engage in social media in the same I way actually, that when I
3: actually there. went I, I've a couple of times actually I could admit that I've actually gone and done searches on Google I'd often search for things like this you're never going to find the answer for but I've actually done searches on Google to look for artists that that are infamously that you know that have no social media hmm. the problem is because of the Google search algorithm you can't you, you try asking that question you get anything back but the answer to it Um, But from, from the little tiny bit of digging that I've done, I haven't managed to find any. And the reason I've done that digging is because I've gone through so many sort of periods, especially in the last few years, where I've thought, I don't really see myself as that kind of person or artist. And do I fit into this world anymore? Do you know what I mean? To be honest, I think like, you know, I see the way that people use their phones these days the ways that people experience media it's like this constant bombardment of audio visuals billboards everything all around you all the time bombarding you and people's attention span is so so limited so by giving people these little snippets of your daily life or of your personality you're kind of setting them up for the records do you know what i mean i think that's how a lot of people see it it's like you're you know, this this little video of them running around a, an airport or whatever might be totally irrelevant and not even funny, but it keeps you sort of, like, tuned into their channel so they can then present their piece of great music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of, yeah. But, but I'm personally not great at doing that. And I think, like, one, the one thing that personally I've really sort of picked up on over the last year, because of the background I came from, like I said, where it was like, you know, you didn't smile didn't give too much yourself away and that was so ingrained into me from you know 20 years of being in drum and bass I I think I read a book and someone was talking about social media in this book that I was reading and they were saying when you're talking to people on social media you need to just think about them as you're in a room full of friends and you're talking to a load of friends Now the thing that's slightly at odds with that of course is that these people are not only strangers but some of them could and probably are axe murderers
2: yeah Statis- <laughs> statistically well, well, yeah, yeah very so small like, very small portion it's alright if you're just an underground guy because then you just you know one in a thousand probably isn't but you, you know, get to feeling... Taylor Swift levels and yes yeah, that is, yes, yeah. somebody out there is going to be that follower that ends up you know just sort of sleeping in your in a in your bin or something you know
3: yeah but, I mean what, what I've been really doing recently um which is like kind of new i mean i'm I'm pretty friendly guy like i think Mm. if you know anyone i hope that comes up to me will find that i'll sit and chat you know assuming that i'm not late to get on a plane or something like that you know Mm. and i like talking to people and interacting with people i love getting feedback from people that kind of thing but on at least in a social media sense i think i've traditionally been very like You know, I'll I'll read posts and whatever. I generally don't respond to that much stuff. And the thing that that's changed for me over the last sort of year or so is that I've really been making an effort to just engage people that bit more. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's been a really rewarding process. I feel like it's a two-way process because you feel like you you start to build these relationships with people, and then Mm. all of a sudden it's like you can imagine these guys are out there going. you know it's like having it's like the traditional kind of we used to call them like street teams
2: yeah Mm. Mm, yeah yeah, yeah.
3: and it's weird because that concept seems to have disappeared a little bit but now more than ever you've got the ability to build a street team you know you've got all these people that potentially can support you if they're on your side and they can be out there playing people music telling people what you're doing you know like a guy hit me up the other day and um This is so bizarre, but I've been in the machine learning AI world a bit for the last two years. I've been working on this app because I think the concept of artificial intelligence is 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 granularly extremely complicated. Like like insanely, you know, it's it's like science, computer science. Right. But the the sort of high level concepts of artificial intelligence is based on some really simple concepts that if you can explain them in English, I think anybody can grasp. So I've been thinking about writing a blog or a book or something, because I feel, you know, I'm someone who's, who's been involved in tech on and off over the years since I was a kid, but <clears throat> having been away from it for a while, I feel like I'm in a bit of a unique position to have that perspective of someone who's not been, you know, in this, the computer science sort of mainframe. Mm. Um, so anyway, bringing me back to my point, I was... Uh, tweeting uh, I did a poll and I was like if I wrote a blog or whatever about you know explaining AI like in English that anyone could understand would you guys be interested in reading that 70% of them were like yeah I'd love to read it 10% of them or 15% of them were like I'm not interested and the other 15 were like no you're not qualified mate Those were my answers, by the way. (laughs) That's what they would have really said. But anyway, so this one guy said to me, "Let me know when you're doing a gig in wherever it was that he was." Right? So, so I wrote back to him like, you know, well, if you're if I'm doing a gig, wherever that is, just hit me up and I've always got a few tickets I can give away and I'll probably just give you a ticket. And then he hit me back and he was like, that's so sweet of you, but I could never do that. Of course I would buy a ticket to come and see you. And I was like, well, you're definitely not buying one now. (laughs) So just hit me up when there's a gig and I'll give you a ticket. But just little interactions like that, that you feel people can go away from them, really feeling like they know you a bit better. You're starting to get to know them and then when they're standing in front of you hopefully in a crowd they they're actually kind of like a friend that you haven't met yet Do you know what i yeah. mean and
2: yeah. i think
3: that's to me that's the great thing about social media that i, mm. I, I look forward to exploring more Do you know what great I
2: mean? well well speaking about learning more you mentioned
1: you know being involved in tech since you were a kid so let's rewind the <laughs> clock right back to where it all started for you. Yeah. So, so you know, where were you? What was going on when you, when you first started getting involved in music? Let's go back even further, in fact, to what, you know, when you were growing up. When did music start having a, an effect on you? You know, what, what, were the
3: first, what was the first thing that you were aware of, like, in music? So for me, the, the very first thing that I remember about music was um, <clears throat> my parents had a piano. And I remember sitting down, I talk, I kind of started to teach myself to play the piano. Um, and I remember my mum playing me uh, Flight of the Bumblebee by Rachmaninoff. And um, she played me some obviously beautiful piece of music, which I think obviously I would have been sitting there like, you know, when you're a kid, you can really feel music as well. The and you were how
1: old at this? At this? Probably
3: four or five yeah. or yeah. something like that and um, she played me this piece of music and then she said this is called Flight of the Bumblebee I don't know maybe if this is now going to maybe I wasn't four or five I don't have kids so I'm Mm. really confused now but I was obviously old enough to have a conversation and um, I said to her why is it called Flight of the Bumblebee and she said well because you know you're supposed to be able to hear A Flight of Bumblebees when you listen to it and I'm like what do you mean he's like well you know Rachmaninoff wrote this music to make like a picture to describe a flight of bumblebees and me being the, the analytical geeky mind that i am sat there for hours and hours listening to this music trying to understand and you know and gradually i felt like i could kind of hear it and I, for me i was just just you know completely captivated by the idea mm-hmm. that you could like use something that you couldn't even see to describe something that you could do you know what I mean or, or to describe even maybe something that isn't visible like an emotion or some complex mm. set of so you know whatever so so yeah I was just really really blown away by that.
0: Trailblazers DJ fresh.
3: Later on, uh, my dad had a computer, uh, like, really, really early computer that he brought and it uh, just sat around in a box and I, like, rigged it up and started messing around with it and, and writing, pro like, very basic programs on it. Um, and funnily enough, at the time, I used to try to write programs that were kind of like you were talking to a computer, you know, where you'd, like, ask a question and, there'd be a certain number of answers and then you you press, you know, answer that one, then this happens Mm. and whatever. So I've always been super, super analytical, I suppose, and and just very, very interested in how things work and how the world works. Um, And to me, I think, you know, I had to kind of make a choice between my interest in technology and how that could manifest those things and in music. And at that point in time, back in the, very early 90s technology was not what it is today you know and the options for getting involved in it were very limited and then I I was actually at uni doing a a course in um business information technology where where did you go to to uni business part uh Kingston so I was there for a bit doing this course and um got involved in a pirate radio station as you do Um, the guys at the pirate radio station had had their tower block, bus by the police, whatever they needed a new location to broadcast from. So much to the delight of my flatmates and my student <laughs> <laughs> accommodation, that became the radio station. Wow, you were a running the a weekend, pirate yeah. radio
2: station from your uni with, with, digs? With
3: Aaron Ross, who, who manages Jonas Flew. <laughs> right. And was this uni accommodation? Or like it was like a little shared house.
1: A yeah. shared house, like a, yeah. And was that your involvement as a geek
3: or as a DJ... At that, at You'd that. have to ask them.
2: <laughs> I of both, maybe? <laughs> I,
3: I um, no, I was, so I was, I was DJing. I was starting to make music. Um, and then through those guys, I met MC Moose. Um, and he introduced me to a lot of people in, in drum and bass. But, um, I mean, in terms of, like, musical background before that, so my dad was in a, a band before I was born, like he's South African, and he came over, set up a band. Unfortunately, they had a number three hit, I think, in the UK. Um, And the girl who was really the lead of the band, the singer called Roz, left to have a baby. And my dad, no doubt, partly because he was so you know tormented by this horrible situation of having had a number three record and then the lead singer just being like hey i'm having a baby and uh, see you later yeah 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 sure. so it was always quite against me i think being involved in music and always especially as you can imagine that landscape in the 70s being a pretty cutthroat crazy place was always very against me um being involved in music but he did introduce me to a lot of really interesting music as a musician including things like Jean-Michel Jarre mm. and Tamita um, a, you know a lot of bands as well but for me the the electronic you know Tamita, Jean-Michel Jarre thing was like a revelation for me it was just like wow like one person can sit down and make this incredible soundscape on their own without a band, it was just
2: amazing. So how old were you when you discovered Jean-Michel Jarre? do you think? I don't know, probably six or seven or oh, something Oh, right, also like that. A very yeah, early early. Know, yeah, maybe
1: something around that, just early, yeah. And would you say that that was, like, a game-changer for you that you suddenly thought, oh, gosh, I could maybe get involved in this? Or did you ever think, at that early stage, I want to do this? Or what's the record... That made you think that that inspired you to be a musician.
3: So that's kind of uh, a, kind of takes us back to the tech thing actually. So r- when I was at school, um, a mate of mine had a Commodore Amiga, which also is the computer. Um, that Calvin Harris used to use when he first started making music. So I was actually doing a very similar thing to him when he first got into music. So um, my mate was involved in a bunch of like sort of hackers that would like hack computer games and it was kind of like a little underworld. And um, the computer games had this crazy what was called chip tunes. I don't mm. know if you've ever heard some of those eight-bit old ch- eight yeah. Beat, uh, yeah exactly yeah. Like eight-bit kind of stuff. Um, and I remember just listening to this music and just being like, "What the fuck is that? It's just unbelievable." <laughs> the sounds were just so big and crazy, and um, and I said to my mate, "Like, where's you know? How do they make this music? Because obviously, whoever was making these computer game demos was making the music as well." Um, and he introduced me to this piece of software called Octamed, so I, which was what Calvin Harris apparently was using as well at the time. Um, And so I started making tracks on that, and in fact the very first release that I had, which was through someone I'd met through the Pirate Radio guys, was made on Oxomed, like an 8-bit track, so... <laughs> yeah,
2: crazy. When somebody says this track was made on Oxymed, that to me sounds like, you know, that you're on prescription drugs at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean?
3: So so that's because really. it's Octomed, not Ox- <laughs> Oh, OK, sorry. I and what, and and and, did do a bit of Oxymed in later life. I'm sure you did. We'll get onto
1: that phase. <laughs> you said that you are doing something similar to, to Calvin Harris. I know that he was making r&b when he first started right right he was making like probably quite bleepy r&b yeah <laughs> it would have been bleepy if it was made on. not yeah 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 sure. so at that time what, what was the style of music that you were making at that time so uh,
3: early kind of jungle yeah oh so it was right it was, yeah was yeah big. yeah so i actually it's funny because i just i don't know if you guys saw the documentary the one nation three decades of drum and bass No, I haven't seen it. Which just went to number one on iTunes yesterday. Oh, wow. Which is a pretty special moment. Um, So Terry Turbo, he founded One Nation, put that documentary together. He's an actor. Um, And um, what was the question? Sorry, I've totally the yeah that's a
2: good good point what was the question know yeah.
1: we're just having a conversation yeah. That's not really not
3: not really questions
1: we, we were talking about octaves and then we were talking I, about uh, you you mentioned Calvin Harris and I just said what kind of music were you what what you know he was making R&B what kind of music were you making at that time and you said
3: you like early drum and early jungle. A, jungle jungle yeah
2: so we've got we've got the the real impact at like potentially 4 years old we've got Jean-Michel Jarre at, at sort of six can you name us a tune that when you were i don't know 15 16 17 18 electronic music maybe or something that made you feel yeah this is something that i want to be involved in,
1: or maybe what was your entry point into drum and bass? Because if you're making eight bit drum and bass, mm. like you must have been a very early adopter. Who or what oh, was the okay. what rem- was the the inspiration how, I've to you? Remembered
3: how this all came back mm. together. So one of the things that. Um, that terry talks about in that documentary is a kind of phenomenon that you you guys i'm sure you nick especially mm. being yeah. an old school raver mm-hmm. will remember which was the uh, the m25 sure <laughs> of course, of course <laughs> so, mate. the phenomenon of you know a massive uh, queue of cars stopping at a petrol station to find out where the illegal rave was going to be yes so i was um i was at school and I was at boarding school in, in Reading and um, there was a kid who was like a lot older than me in the top year and I became quite friendly with him. And in his room, he used to have like the old flyers, like Terry Turbos. Yeah, Ray Flyers, right, flyers basically. On the wall. yeah and at the time i'd never seen anything like that before you know when you were at school like people had posters like i had a mate who was iron maiden posters yeah. everywhere yeah. and you yeah. know, everyone had these posters but yeah. these posters were like a whole other level. A whole, yeah they were weren't yeah. they? Like <laughs>
2: naked women holding you, you know, know like a basket you, of fruit coming yeah, out of with planets head. spinning around <laughs> so it's like, yeah absolutely neo psychedelia
3: wasn't it <laughs> right yeah. you know. so you know so i saw this these posters and i'm like jim what are those what are those what's that all about yeah so he's telling me about these illegal raves and he's like you know do you want to hear this it's called Acid House do you want to hear it like yeah (laughs) alright so he gives me these tapes from these tape packs and I start listening to Acid House and I'm just like actually remember we had like a school uh, like a music concert trip and I had this one acid house tape that I just listened to on repeat. You remember how it used to be able of to. Course. Yeah, you just, of course, you just going going Yeah, hours, yeah, yeah. Hours, Without suggesting anybody else's music, which I really liked actually, you know, before, before it actually said to you, no, you should now listen to the new Ed Sheeran. Mm, yeah. Or listen to something else. But anyway, yeah. so listening to these tapes over and over again. And, you know, realising, again, that they were something that could be made by one person. And they sounded very similar to, like, these tracks that, you know, or the technology that I was using to make these tracks with. Um, and so I just started making these little tracks. And then when mm-hmm. I was at uni, met people that were on pirate radio and played them the stuff I was doing. And they were like, oh, that's really great, mate. Like, you know, we could introduce you to blah, blah, blah. he probably so, you. So music. it
2: began. Can you can you remember any, any of this? Tunes off that acid house kind of tape, or not really. Was I do it remember
3: the- it was Perception was the rave that was the first uh-huh. tape I remember having, which is probably like 1990, I uh-huh. imagine. Could be. But there were things like um, there's one track which I, I still remember where the piano kind of went out of phase whilst it was playing. It was really weird. So it was kind of going out of ch- in and out of tune. You know, like I wonder if that piano. was
2: Indulge by Neil Howard. But that's a complete I can play hit. it on the piano, <laughs> but I don't
3: have a, a piano to play okay. it with. You don't worry. You probably know it, but um, it was kind of around about the time of like. Um, I mean, I remember around that period some of the early hardcore records. I don't know if you guys would know any of those records, like like um, Living in Darkness by Top Buzz. Yes, um, yes. I'm familiar with that? Like Charlie by Prodigy, mm-hmm. right, you know, Of course. And, and I mean, this was probably the you know, once that had started, so the very early stuff, I've got no idea what it was. Right, it was, it was just
2: stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then and then those records became became important to you. Okay.
0: Trailblazers, <laughs> DJ Fresh.
3: And you would have been involved with that early prodigy stuff,
2: yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. So, so for sure, no, we were. Uh, you know, I was hearing that stuff as it was getting made, and um, yeah, I remember the, the Top Buzz record that you talked about. Uh, hearing that out and about, and uh, and then on on the prodigy record for sure. I mean, that record was in demand. Uh, And record stores were calling me up at XL, going, "If you got this new Prodigy single, everybody's, you know, coming into the store asking for it." And we hadn't even mailed it out, and we hadn't—no radio stations had it. But the record was in demand. And I remember thinking, "God, how can this be?" Kind of flummoxed me for a minute. And then, of course, it was those parties you were talking about. The Prodigy were out there performing that track live, going, "Hey, this is our new single." And and if that was in. Plymouth or Manchester on the Monday hundreds bet of kids I they didn't call it a single though Here's our new track or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a new tune, new tune, new tune, <laughs> tune. you know. And, yeah. and hundreds of, of ravers would flood into the record store, going, "Have you got this new?" I always
3: thing? hate it when people say to me with about my music, they say the new record, and I'm like, right. this, "This is not record. Mm. <laughs> this
2: is a tune. This <laughs> is tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah." So no, no, it was a it was a great uh, a, a great little phase. So you're starting to make some music. You're in, in that pirate radio space. What was the first piece of music that you actually released that came <clears> out <throat> as, a, as a bit of vinyl? Um, I did uh, a track on a record label called
3: Kicking Underground Sound, which hilariously was shortened to Cuss mm. K-U-S. Mm. And what were you called? Uh, just Fresh, I think. Yeah, I think I was fresh back then at that point tell us how that came about like how how did
1: you find your name you know what
3: what was the so so yeah when I was on Pirate the guys were like I used to scratch this record that said fresh not very well mind um, and um, was it the
2: classic oh this stuff is really <laughs> fresh <laughs> <laughs> it was, was it that it one I think, Fr- it, was a, I think it was a
3: Ronnie Size track I think oh it was okay a Ronnie Size track called fresh but that okay. probably had the same song yeah <laughs> okay
2: yeah yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> so so yeah scratching that and the guys were like, you know, you've got to you've been playing now for the last few months or whatever, and doing some crazy graveyard shift kind of thing. Um, during that we used to get these calls from this guy. It's a bit of an interlude, but we used to get calls from a guy called One Ring King. I remember that. So this guy used to call up. And then always Everyone would go to grab the phone and then after one ring he would like to stop and that he ring. always he always seemed to be around when I was playing. One ring king was seemed to be one of my biggest fans at the time.
2: Well, do you remember that that concept of like give us a missed call if, yeah. which meant, like, if you're feeling this, just dial up, We're let it ring yeah. what, and then don't and then leave it. it yeah. Well, maybe that's where
3: one got his inspiration. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. No, that was, that was a thing. That was a thing. In the same way, Peter Kaye, the comedian, I think, talks about, you know, the concept of, like, phoning your parents if you need to get picked up from the bus station, like call and then let it ring four times and then stop and that's the signal yeah that's the signal that your parents can go out and like this was back when phone calls (laughs) used to actually yeah yeah yeah, exactly so it's a big it's a big change you know it's funny isn't it the one ring king i've never heard of that though i like it so i wonder what he's doing these days
3: to call up and after a few weeks of that they were like you know you need to give yourself a dj name and I was like, being the OCD nightmare that I am, I was like, no, no, don't don't like inspire this indecision that could keep me awake for the next five <laughs> years, you know what I mean? And so one of the guys was like, Why don't you call yourself fresh bruv? And I'm like, why? And he's like, you know, because you're always scratching that fresh sample in it, and I'm like yeah, and then everyone's like,
2: "Yeah, fresh man, fresh." And, then and was it was it. done. It's,
1: it's done. <laughs> yeah. The decision was made for you. You were DJ Fred. You were just Fred.
2: So you had your name, you had your tune. How did it get signed, or to, you know, to come out on vinyl? So
3: I think, funnily enough, Aaron Ross, who I met through Pirate Radio, who he now manages Jonas Blue, um, was on Pirate with me as well, and took that to these guys bikey and desi who ran kicking kicking underground sound um and i released a couple of tracks with them released a track with um with uh, mc moose who i met through the radio station as well Mm. moosey Mm. um then he introduced me to dj ron who's like a legendary jungle dj yeah i know
2: dj ron yeah
3: and um i released a couple of tracks with him and i met um Lady Miss Keir from D-Light. Ah, yes. Um, and then I produced a bunch of tracks for her album. I didn't know
2: that. Yeah. Did you know that? Ed? No. Oh, OK. You know what, though? I kind of remembered. It was Johnny L. Did he do... Did he? Was he somewhere in the Lady Miss Keir he I wasn't aware
3: of that. I'll tell you who was, though. A guy called Gerald. Right, yes. A guy called Gerald is right, quite Right, yeah, involved. yeah, yeah. So... That's interesting. I remember Keir explaining to me how Gerald used to record everything on loops of an old tape recorder. I don't know if you guys know that. So he would record, like, he had an eight-track tape recorder, you know, and he'd record the drums on one track and the other thing, and then he'd, like, splice the tape together and leap stuff and pretty hmm. crazy shit. And he was doing that back in, you know, nineteen ninety nine or whatever when everybody else was yeah you know well moved on technically but his music sounded amazing you know the
2: the classic um guy called gerald anecdote is that voodoo ray was a a sample of a of the phrase voodoo rage but but there wasn't enough sample space left so it it came out as voodoo ray (laughs) because the actual full phrase there just wasn't the, 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 you know, the amount of wow. space for it to... It was supposed to be voodoo, voodoo rage. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. supposedly. I
3: yeah. like voodoo, right?
2: Yeah, voodoo rage is good. Yeah. So you're rolling now, aren't you? You're, you're working with multiple people, you're knocking out tunes. Was there a, a sort of definitive moment which sort of crystallised that, that time f- for you? Where, w- I mean, what was the first time that you thought, wow, I've made a record and people are really embracing it and I'm onto to something good here? I think,
3: like, because I was starting to meet people through MC Moose, I met Kenny Ken, who was, like, you know, at this point, like, at one of the biggest drum and bass names and, and still is, you know, as a legend, and um, through Moose, I met him... Uh, became friendly with him. He started playing my tracks, you know. So Moose would say to me, you know, I was like eighteen at the time, and Moose would come back and be like, "Oh, you know, Kenny Ken loves this track and loves that track," and you'd kind of be like, "Oh man, look, I'd love to meet Kenny Ken," but I guess you know when the time's right, I'll meet Kenny Ken. But in the meantime, I'm just getting these snippets of information back from him. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then eventually met Kenny Ken, and Kenny Ken would go and he was probably the first person to really play my music and um, I remember the first time seeing him out in a club playing one of my tracks was just obviously
2: mind-blowing. Do you remember what that track was that he played of Uh, yours? No, probably something that never got released. Oh, I see.
1: Yeah, right. And you'd moved on presumably from 8-bit now.
3: So basically what I did was I used my student loan um, to buy a sampler... An Akai, as you should with your student yeah. line, right? I mean, that's what. Well, <laughs> well, of course, yeah. that's what they're for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's better than spending it on drugs and alcohol. So <laughs> there you go. So, um, so I used it to buy an Akai 1200 and rigged the the Atari with the Octamed, uh, uh, Amiga with Octomed on it to the 1200 and used that as a sequencer. Mm-hmm. So still very limited as to what I could make. Didn't have effects and compressors and mm. blah blah blah. Um, And then when I was working with Miss Keir, um, she paid me for my work with her and I brought my first proper sampler, like a decent full capacity sampler, an EMU, um, and a mixer and decent speakers. Mm. And that was really when it started. So then, but this was all in a very short space of time, probably a year and a half. And then I met um, Renegade Hardware uh, boss Clayton again through Aaron. So I do owe Aaron. Mm. A thanks Aaron, mm. <laughs> he's one of my best mates, so mm-hmm. there you go. But, um, so he introduced me to Clayton, um, and th- I had my first proper release on Clayton that probably would have been rewound in a club, you know, which is kind of like <laughs> yeah, yes. well, once someone rewinds your record, there's no turning back, yeah, <laughs> yeah <I> mean, you've <laughs> hit the tipping point, you're a jungler for life, <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure.
0: Trailblazers, <laughs> DJ Fresh.
2: So yeah, and then uh, met Darren and Jason. Sorry, British I've just Waters. got something witty to say. So, so basically, there's no turning back when the record uh, is literally. I'll see what you did. Sorry, it was slightly late, but uh, you know, worthy of mention. I thought you just throw my mind. For Sorry, sex. man. So what, what, what was the record on Renegade Hardware?
3: So the first one on. So I wrote a track called um, under the pseudonym Absolute Zero. Right, um, and I can't even remember what that was called. It came out on a hardware album mm. called Quantum Mechanics, and then very shortly after that, I wrote a track called The Code with um, Jason and Darren. Um, and The Code was and really Jason and Darren being Jason uh, Maldini and Darren White, Debridge, Bridge yeah. Future Forces. Mm. So they were. I mean, I wasn't really that like at that point i was kind of doing jump puppy kind of stuff and i did i mean i was just sort of super excited about all drum and bass really at that point but yeah. when I, I started to hear the stuff that those guys were doing and i was just like this is so fucking cool do you know what i mean it was mm-hmm. just like raw and gritty and dark and horrific my parents hated it Great. This
2: perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it
3: is, that's what you want, man. And so you were were you still in and around Reading then, or you were
1: in London, where, where were so you? So now is it's
3: it? in London, yeah. So you're yeah. in London.
1: And those guys are from London?
3: They were from South London, yeah. Right, yeah, right, or, right, right. Yeah, there was some sort of, some issue between them and Clayton or something like that at the time. Um, and we decided to split off and start our own record label and decided we were going to call it Bad Company. Um, and then the very first thing that we did together was uh, the, well actually no this is a lie because the first thing we did together was the code but the very first thing we did together as Bad Company was the nine
2: right Good God,
3: wow cool.
1: so wow I didn't know that so the first thing that you did so was the one really that everyone off did... to an absolutely impossible start
3: <laughs> 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 well
1: so well, let's talk about that track then so how did that track come together
3: so we were um so i still had a little studio up at my mum's place at the time um and i was up there with jason um we kind of had a rule at the time that we would always have like a hip flask of some sort of alcohol before a track was made that was very important (laughs) so we were suitably slightly drunk when we we made the nine and we'd been watching a film and i can never remember what this bloody film's called but we were watching a... It was, like, one of the early... It wasn't a Marvel film, but it was about a comic character. And actually, at the time, we were thinking, because we we've been watching this film, maybe we'll call it that. Um, and then we decided not to call it that for reasons that, for historical bad company reasons, I'm not allowed to go into. <laughs> but we decided to call it The Nine. So, um so yeah I mean it was just it was just crazy and I think like the the, the weirdest thing for me about that whole period really the code was was equally not like the 9 is kind of remembered more but the code was bigger at the time Um, and I remember people saying to me and I was like 18 years old or whatever and these guys who I really looked up were like fucking DJ Red who was this big like jungle DJ on Renegade Hardware and DJ Kane and all these guys and I remember one of them saying to me, like, you know, now you've got this massive track, like, Goldie's playing it and Andy C's playing it and whatever, like, you know, aren't you worried about that? What are you going to do next? How are you going to, you know... <clears throat> and I just thought to myself at the time, I'm not going to... Because I was terrified of that, you know, obviously. It was like someone sticking a knife in you, saying that to you. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like all your worst fears. Mm. Um and, but I just remember thinking to myself, like, there's two options here. Either I listen to what he's saying, worry about it, and try and think my way out of this, and what am I going to do next? What is that thing? Do I, like, do I just keep that formula and try and continue that? Or do I deliberately not go for that formula, test myself to try and come up with something that's a bit different? Um, and then we did, and we we came up with the pulse, <clears throat> which, like, was another massive tune-signed to prototype, which was a really big deal at the time, Groove Rider's label. So Groove Rider's label was kind of like... He would barely ever release anything, and these tracks were like Picasso paintings. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like if you had, like, a prototype release, it was just game over, you know? Yeah. I still remember him playing it on Radio 1. It's really anthemic kind of string intro, very, like, emotional and... It was a really special time. But I think, like, for me, that the reason I mention it is because I think it's a very formidable um, moment in my career because it sort of, like, set me off on this path of not wanting to be restricted to just doing one thing. Mm. Because once I'd kind of seen that it was possible to have more than one strand of, like, success with music in terms of people's feedback, it made me sort of less afraid to branch out and try different
2: things um, amazing so at this point let's hear some music which which of the Bad Company UK tunes would you like to well maybe do... maybe the nine
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we have to I mean we have to play the nine oh, because I mean, the, I mean in the intro I you know I said oh if you polled drum and bass Fans, but the thing is, there was a poll. The last poll yeah. that I remember mm. of drum and bass fans, the nine came out as number one. Oh, right? Yeah, so well, you let's, know. let's
2: give it a listen right now,
0: huh? Trailblazers, <laughs> DJ Fresh.
1: So that's the nine. Uh, What I'm trying to get my head around is you were told, uh, you know, where do you go from here? Uh, You know, and then there was so much pressure. It seemed like a very, like, sort of glass half empty thing because... You basically had a hit in your underground drum and bass world, and someone's saying to you, like, you know, this is a really bad thing, and you're talking about, oh, this is like a knife going in me. Like <laughs> that just seems weird to me because you—that seems like that—that that was the a, a spark to a piece of dry tinder. You know, yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. About to blow up. I mean, you must have felt um, not like somebody had put a knife in you at that stage. You must have been feeling really excited, surely, about how things were developing. I
3: think you know, it's like. You know, I never really sort of um, expected to be be able to be a career musician, do you know what I mean? It was never something that I either aspired to or thought was possible, do you know what I mean? I'd never really been that great at playing any instruments, you know? Like, I kind of could... I've always been sort of, like, a a creative person and, like, I'd sit at a piano and write stuff since I was tiny but it was never technically particularly good. Do you know what I mean? I was never a technical musician. Hmm. could never really play any instrument that well. Um, and I think the thing for me was like, you know, the the being able to sit down and create something in an electronic environment where you get to build every little block and there's no sort of, like, dexterity involved. You know, it's not like, fuck, I just fucked up that note. You know, I didn't play it fast. You know what I mean? It's like... It's a mental process rather than a a sort of physical process. Um, And really just, like, the idea that I could then turn that into something that, you know, I could have a life and, you know, hopefully kids one day and a house and all that kind of stuff out of just never really occurred to me. So I was very, I think, nervous at the beginning of, like, you know, fucking it up, do you know what I mean, to be honest. Um, And even then, I think, like... Something that, like, Nick knows about me because, <clears throat> you know, we've worked together, but I'm, I've always kind of been a bit sort of on the fence about being a musician and, and not wanting to be sort of, like, uh, put in a box, really. Do you know what I mean? Because I just feel like creativity is such a such a wide palette. There's so many things. If you're a creative person, there's so many different things that you can do. So both in t- you know, so to have somebody saying to you, like, you know now you've done this thing like what are you going to do next like you know are you going to do the same thing again because if you don't like it might you know I mean? yeah. so, so it was just something that sort of really kind of terrified me a bit at the time yeah well so you say you didn't think that you were ever going to be
1: a career musician or a career producer what did you think that you, at that stage what did you think you were going to be
3: what was um, your life
0: absolutely not.
1: you were just winging it at this stage
3: how old were you at this at this time <laughs> Well, um, say like sort of 18, 19, you know, but right, I mean, okay. but I guess maybe 19 by that point. But like um, I did go to uni to do business IT. Business was because of my dad. Um, IT was because I was interested in computers. Mm. But, you know, at this point in time, computers were uh, these big white boxes with like green screens that couldn't show pictures or anything yeah you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah apricots and, <laughs> yeah so it was it very yeah and i remember like my dad said to me because when i was doing so you know really focusing back on tech again a couple of years ago my dad said to me that when my uncle had come over from south africa he's like a doctor and he came over and apparently said to my dad like you know you should really encourage him with that interest that he's got in computers because that's going to be the future mm. and my dad was just completely like what like you know it's it sounds weird now but I think it was very normal at the time to to totally be justified in thinking that there may be no future with computers do you know what I mean so
2: yeah I wasn't
3: really I mean, sure what I was going to do but I just mm. knew I was interested in computers and then all of a sudden it was like you know hey you can make this Crazy music, and hey, we like it, we'll release it. So it was all a bit, I didn't have no idea what I was going to do, really. Mm. Yeah,
2: mm. so Bad Company UK really starts, uh, you know, to, to hit some momentum. I suppose, are you then starting to travel the world as a, as a DJ for the first time? And how, how did you find that?
3: <clears throat> yeah, so. I got a job, I was working um at a place in London as a sound engineer. I got a job as like a sort of trainee sound engineer. Um and um I don't reckon I was that good. Uh but one day I got asked to cover a gig in America for Johnny L in Washington DC. Um, got flown out to DC. I think I'd done I think we'd maybe done one gig before this point somewhere in Europe. Um <laughs> found myself playing on this festival stage instead you
2: know, think, of john L was supposed to do it, but, but in L. the end it was just you on your own, or with the and me and actually Mick from oh, Bad Company. Okay, right, where, with your first gig in America, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. In
3: Washington, yeah. And I just I called up my boss from uh, who I'd had an argument with a week before. Called him up from America. And was like, mate, I'm in America at a gig playing in front of like two thousand people, and. Decided that not don't want to work for you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he was like, "Fair play, (laughs) understandable." Yeah,
1: you were a sound engineer at a live venue, or at a studio, or at a
3: at a Um, at a club. Yeah, doing like live bands, like cover bands. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 yeah.
2: And then, so yeah, what did you learn from from that phase of of starting to see the world and starting to? DJ you know did it affect your your future record well did it affect your record making approach for, for starters um yeah I mean I guess uh you know
3: obviously the I think one of the things that's really key about um performing with electronic music is the, is the is the feedback loop you know And something that I've actually, we might have time to get onto at some point. Mm. Something that I've really missed the last few years. Mm. I've never even realised how much it affected me. But, you know, when you're sort of in that loop of like, it's almost like as you're making music, you're not just making a piece of music, you're making your sound sound. And that sound is being partly dictated by you and partly dictated by the reaction you get when you play it out. Yeah. So you go and you play a track out. Maybe it doesn't go down. Maybe you need to change something, whatever. But every one of those experiences sort of helps to form your sort of musical personality in the studio, right? I yeah, think. I agree. So um, so I think that probably <clears throat> really started to help to, to, to shape during that period you know Mm. doing those first gigs abroad um and just like the you know the i think like for me it's very hard to i I take it so for granted you know having done 20 years like like you eddie you know of like touring the world and you just it becomes so normal but i remember flying to germany which goes to show that i'm probably a bit older that i would be thinking of things like this but i was flying to germany and the biplane
2: took off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: This yeah, the, the, the <laughs> right. uh, I remember looking down, like out of the out of the aeroplane, and thinking, like, this is what the guys that were flying over Germany from from England were seeing. You know, this is like what they were doing. They're flying across the Channel, you know, mm. to yeah, Germany, yeah, yeah. and it was just like the whole. The whole sort of experience of of travelling like that was just such an incredible thing to experience, you know.
2: I I think it still is, to be honest. Obviously, international plane travel is the norm. It's become very normalised. Millions of people, you know, have done it. But yet, when you're on a plane and you look out and you just see amazing Arctic tundra or whatever, (coughs) it's, it's... it's incredible,
3: isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Even uh, more incredible when you look out and you see beautiful Thai islands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's like, amazing as well. About oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love a bit of that too. <laughs> but that obviously, yeah, I mean, that obviously sort of wears off. But for me at that point, that was that was all just, you know, incredible, you know, going around. And I think like, you know, being 18 and 19 and being one of the youngest people in the the clubs, you know, now I'm kind of, Probably, hopefully, not still one of the oldest, but getting closer to that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, so that in itself was just really, really exciting. You know.
2: So, so what was the next significant change for you, sort of uh, in your in your musical journey? Was the was the next big change setting up your own record label, or was it maybe parting company with the, with the bad company guys and striking out on your own? <clears throat> yeah, I guess yeah what, I, we'll have to cover that. How, how did
1: how did Bad Company come to an end or how, you know let's let's, um, let's document
3: that? Well we wanted to so so like the the record label, we were releasing these bad company tracks and at the time they were doing pretty well. like financially it was making really good money. I mean all, all our money would go back into the record label and we'd buy studio equipment and whatever. Um, but you know, we were making really good money. I was like, sort of twenty-one, twenty-two, or something like that. Um, we um, we were sorry. I've totally forgotten the
2: end of Bad Company UK. Oh, bad how, company. Yeah. So
3: sorry. It's like when you start thinking about these memories, it's mm. just fucking so much shit comes back. You know, <laughs> sure, <right>? sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um, so yeah. So we were we were releasing these these tracks. You know and we were selling you know sort of like I literally i can't remember one selling less than ten thousand units right on vinyl, which now is mental, yeah but you know ten to twenty thousand units of these twelve inch singles and um but i, I always kind of had this sort of uh i guess like sl- slight entrepreneurial kind of drive and always wanted to had friends of mine that were running labels releasing you know stuff from other artists and like the idea of building a brand and doing something that was a bit bigger than just my music and the bad company guys so at the beginning we were talking about this all together and the other guys were interested in doing that as well but it was all a bit like well we're called bad company recordings we are bad company we've only ever released bad company records like what are we going to do so we set up, like, a sister label called Square One, the idea being that new people are at Square One and yeah, we can release that, that makes music. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool,
2: That works. See <laughs> so, what you
3: did there. <laughs> so we then, we, we, found, we signed a track um, by DK called Barcelona, um, which was then picked up by Alpha Magic and BMG, mm. um, and went top five in the UK. It was a big track. It really was big. Cool. Yeah,
2: um,
3: but unfortunately, had a bit of a bad time with the intermediary that had sort of organised the team up with BMG. Nobody ever got paid from it, including I found out the other day. The original artist oh no um so we had a bit of a bad experience with that um and then that that wasn't why we split up or anything but i think we were just all really pulling in different directions it was like i wanted to start something that was about kind of like you know other working with other people that was kind of my main drive at the time um i think d bridge was like he had a a very specific, like, musical direction that he wanted to explore that was quite different to what we'd done so far. Um, Jason and Mick, I think, just wanted a break from us too. And so I think what happened was that at at one point I was kind of really keen to explore going off in different directions and stuff musically as well. So basically, because I was... Being very productive and creating a lot of music, there was a bit of tension because there was all this music that I was making, and I also had the studios at my place, and it was starting to kind of become musically too much, really, about what I wanted to do and what I was doing. And the others were saying to me, understandably, the others were like, You know, you are not bad company, you know, we need to release records that are by all of us together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, fucking come down the studio, <laughs> then it makes it <laughs> easy, some fucking easy, lazy work. Stone <laughs> <laughs> I have to cut that out. <laughs>
1: Nick those, <laughs> <laughs> Nick those Can we water. keep it in, really? Come on, <laughs> in. we're documenting history. This is it's history. Fine. It's fine. It's fine. it's fine. We used to have Nobody's going to listen
3: to it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean,
2: no. Nobody's going to
1: like it. Nobody's going to care. They're not going to deny
2: it. It's history. Nobody's going to sue. No, no, no. It's fine. so,
3: so. To yeah. Have enormous arguments about it because I I'd, can imagine, would be like, you know, can yeah. we, can you guys come to the studio so yeah. we can make some music? Then in that case, yeah. Well, you know, we'll be around like in a couple of. Oh, it's blah blah's birthday. Da-da-da-da-da. Sure. And to be, I guess, you know, maybe it's just everybody was just genuinely pulling in different directions, and yeah. maybe the process of being in the studio just wasn't as vibey as it used to be, or yeah. maybe they felt that I had a, I was too you know domineering in the studio I had my own ideas whatever it was Yeah. Um, but just gradually it was becoming harder to get us in the studio yeah. i was making more and more of the music and it was sounding less and less like the bad company that all four of us was together yeah um and then ultimately i said to them look you know we need to find a way out of this what about if i start releasing stuff on bad company is fresh bad company yep so at least that way i can release whatever i want and doesn't bother you guys you know you can still release the bad company stuff and the answer to that was no yeah so i basically had to leave so that was what happened
2: yeah and and you know as is so often the case i i've only realized in the last couple of years that that uh, big philosophical one everything changes doesn't it uh, in life you know just it, it's part of the part of the dna of being human is that everything's going to change band relationships you know friendships home surroundings etc and so 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 a change in in your life here um came around um and then what was the what came then musically from you yeah what's the to soundtrack this moment where you became Either, either the last bad company
1: record or the first dj fresh record
3: probably like so probably planet dust which is a bad company track that's still one of the bigger bad company tracks which I did on my own. Um, and Darren really didn't like it at all. And we used to have, like... I remember when we released it, he really didn't want it to get released. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, Andy C was playing it every set. Everyone was playing it. It was, like, enormous, this enormous tune in the scene at the time. And I was like, dude, like, I get that it's not... doesn't sound like you, but it's massive and everyone wants to play it. You can't, like, not release it... And it was really just yeah, like you know things like that that ultimately just led to this bottleneck where it's like something's just got to give here. Sure.
2: So let's 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 have a quick listen to that. Trailblazers, (laughs) DJ Fresh. Planet Dust, bad company UK, and 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 now a new a new era for DJ Fresh. So, what was what was the goal as you entered this new phase?
3: So, I mean, you know, com- coming out of a situation where all of my sort of income—I mean, I was only twenty-three. I was only twenty-three at that point, but you know, still. I mean, didn't have, like, kids or anything like that going on, but still needed to pay my way. So it was a little bit terrifying, because I'd kind of, at this point now, I'm, like, fully committed to music, really. Um, You know, had only really... You know, people wanted bad company, but we'd split up. Um, Wasn't really sure. But the good thing was that I had some bangers. Mm. (laughs) i <laughs> have got some bangers yeah. as long as you've got some bangers right. it's going to be alright
2: no, I, I agree with that
3: <laughs> <laughs> Serves me well so, um, so basically the agent who was looking after bad company, my mate Caroline at Unique Artists took me on separately under my, under my under DJ Fresh yep I changed my name from Fresh to DJ Fresh because okay. I figured at that point it was all a bit producer DJ was a slightly separate thing and mm-hmm. I wanted people to know that I was DJing as well sure um if only I'd realized what that was going to set me up for we mm. <laughs> would have gone a different route but anyway so uh DJ Fresh all of a sudden um had become, like, pretty friendly with Andy C. who had been supporting our tracks a lot. Him and um, Mampy Swift, DJ Swift, were really supporting me musically. So the new tracks that I was making, those guys were playing out heavily and DJ Hype and whatever. Um, and so, actually, a- as this was happening as well, um, Bad Company had just put together a live show called Digital Nation... Um, and bizarrely this very quite exciting it was relatively low budget but quite exciting live show at the time for the drum and bass world came to an end almost as soon as it started we'd spent a year putting it together we found a drummer who Paul Codish who went on to be Pendulum's drummer and later Mm. my drummer as well Mm. Um, and a guy called Kabar who was singing and we did our first Radio 1 show and due to a whole load of politics at the time that was kind of really the 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 final straw and nail in the coffin for the band yeah for whatever reason so um at that show in the audience at radio one live and made of Vale was a certain individual called adam f Uh (laughs)
2: uh-huh Had you met Adam before? I had, yeah, but
3: I'd met him... I actually met him out in Miami with a bunch of other people and he largely ignored me at that point, so I kind of hadn't hadn't been in that idea to him. Mm. Um, Then he came up to me after the show and was like, mate, you know, massive fan of what you're doing. You know, I was a massive, massive fan of what he was doing. I mean, Adam, especially at that point, and just in general for anyone who likes electronic music is a legend, um, you know, and at that point, he'd just come off the back of his chaos stuff with Red Man. He was like hip hop stuff, wasn't he? The right. big orchestral hip hop stuff. America. Right. Yeah. yeah. And everyone, obviously, in drum and bass wanted to work with him because it was like this guy who's super revered but also hooked up with all the hip hop guys mm. and, you know, part of that whole thing. And hip hop and drum and bass have always had a bit of synergy as well. So I think, like you know, most drum and bass. Um, DJs liked hip hop as well, and so Adam was like a you know like kind of like a celebrity in the D and B world.
2: And we must just mention how our different lives overlap. Yeah. Because of course I well not of course but I'd signed Adam F to Positive. So yeah. Those, that circles. And, yeah, 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 and you know yeah, and all of that yeah. stuff was so I'd worked closely with him. But this is you now meeting him for the first time. Yeah. yeah Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And such yeah. a
1: different style to you. Like, you know, in drum and bass, he was...
3: Yeah, s- yeah,
2: yeah. Very yeah. different, wasn't he?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah, very, very sort of, like, musical and instruments. Cleaner and, and yeah, woodier. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you were, like, yeah. dirty and gritty. I like, guitar pedals and <laughs> shit. Um, So, like, so, yeah, he... I think we were just both, like, fascinated with each other. Like Eddie says, like, coming from very different musical... Even though it was drum and bass, we were different sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and he was saying to me, you know, I've got this chaos thing, I've been doing i think i did a remix for him at the time as bad company um and he said you know i've got this chaos thing that i've been doing doing the stuff for the label we went out and had dinner and got chatting and i was like you know i've been thinking about setting up my own label and he was like what's your label going to be called and i was like it's going to be called breakbeat punk and he was like oh you know i've got chaos it's like it'd be cool wouldn't it if we could do a label together.
0: <laughs> oh, right. oh, that's, that's right. how it happened. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's oh, how it happened. It's,
1: it's uh, like the, 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 that, that's the second bit of the jig. Like there was a, I had a jigsaw moment just a bit earlier uh-huh. when Dan was talking about planet, uh, planet dust, and that's yeah. just like, that's why exit planet dust ha- happened. You know, so like <laughs> all of these like it's lovely getting. Yes. You know, that's what I
3: think I love about this podcast is just filling in little bits of history like it's that. It's crazy because I wish I could find the. Uh, I think there is some artwork actually somewhere, but. The first, I did one release on it, which was called Mutated X, which was a remix of a track by DJ Trace called Mutant Jazz. Yeah, um, and um, the whole the idea with Breakbeat Chaos was that there was going to be this sort of like brand, this artwork, which was like an American baseball helmet with kind with like a Mohican okay. on top of it. So okay. I had that done, and that was the first cover. So I was just starting to get my whole you know. Like, what it was going to look like mm. and all the rest of it. Mm. Suddenly, here's Adam F., and you know, he's sort of talking about starting a new label. So, um, so he's like, you know, what can we call it? And we were like, threw a few names around, and we're like, what about Breakbeat Chaos? Brilliant, yeah. Great. And you're like, well that's what kind of name is that? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> great one, as yeah, it turns out.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Got so, it. Uh, so so that you're, you're having dinner, that you decide to set up the label, and then well, yeah, what happens next? What 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 was your well, yeah, I guess what was the first what was the first
3: release on on BBK that you were really that, that really kicked off? It was some pretty sort of underground y stuff. There was a track called Daleks, um, and there was original jungle sounds, which was quite quite big at the time jungle um and um so the thing was that we when we were writing all this sorry we were in a restaurant and when we came up with this idea adam had a napkin and we were writing ideas down on it and we wrote the 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 release schedule for the first two or three releases down and drew what the artwork was going to look like and all the rest of it decided to use the artwork guy that he'd used for chaos very hip-hoppy
1: y. street very, very street yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah of
3: course and to sort of stick with that thing that had been working for adam with picture discs and really trying to kind of create like a visual identity as well as the music um <clears throat> and so the first couple of releases were you know mostly adam and i or combinations of and then i think I think the first thing that we signed was Pendulum. I think. Well, that's it. I was going to. That was going to be my next question. You
1: can't talk about Breakbeat Chaos without the story of Pendulum. So, Ooh. so, and was it another planet? Was no, that was the second one. What was the first? It was what, Voyager. Uh, no, it was another planet. It was yeah, another it planet because I remember. I, I I remember. See, my my interface with was, with this was, I saw. I booked aston from the freestylers to play one of my nights i can't remember where and he dropped this record and i just i i I shut myself and i went up to the stage while he was playing i went what the fuck is this and he went oh it's pendulum man it's this new thing that adam and dan have signed and i was like my god this is fucking incredible and that that was my you know that and that was my entry point was he, he just played another planet couldn't believe it you know and then there was a change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did you- Incredible. So how how did you find those guys? Because yeah, I mean, that's the question. The, 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 you know, they they kind of changed the game in in drum and bass, and you're
3: such a pivotal part. Of yeah, them. I mean, we didn't. I can't take credit for finding them, but we'd heard they they did a track called "The Vault," which was on Doc Scott's Thirty One Records. That's right. Yes, um, and, and, and a we'd remix. Heard that- um,
1: for A uh, pack of wolves, they did that pack of wolves thing. Nightbringer, that was, oh, was that later. later. Oh, yeah,
3: okay. they did. They did do something else at the time. It was called. It was something very. It was weird, right? So, um, so they'd had that track, and they'd done another track. I think it was still grey, which I kind of liked, but felt like it was a little bit kind of quote unquote Australian sounding in the sense that it didn't sound like the kind of thing you'd hear in a UK like one of the UK producers do. Um and so I just I said to Adam, you know, like if we could if we could get those guys, because you could hear how talented they were, but bring them over to England and get and really just try and get them involved in the UK scene, because you could kind of hear like, you know, that they were insane, but at the same time at the time the music was a little bit left from like, I mean, it was all it always ended up being, They've always been left, right, I suppose, mm. like, you know, which is their musical kind of personality or whatever, but we just kind of felt like if we can get them to come and live in England for a bit, we can really sort of, like, ingrain the mm. the hardcore bruv vibe into them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
2: so did you, did you suggest that to them? Did, was it yeah. your suggestion, she, why don't you come over to the UK? Well, I had this...
3: I was living in this flat in Hampstead, um... And I just said to them, "Look, you know, if you sign to us, like I'll put you in this flat. You can come and live in England. We'll hook you up with everybody and whatever. And just kind of just explain to him really what you know what me and Adam had been thinking. And we were also very excited about the because I'd been you know I'd just come out of this doing this live thing with with Bad Company, and was very influenced by like The Prodigy, mm. um, and was kind of thinking you know it would be cool." Because I think when, just when we were talking to him on the phone, Rob was saying, "Oh, you know, I'm in a band, and like Gareth plays the bass, not very well, but like he plays." The bass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Gareth. He's, he's amazing now. He's such a good bassist. But anyway, he's a good MC as well, actually. Um, so like they were telling me about being in a band, and I was like, "Well, fuck, man! You know, like I think they they they'd heard the yeah, they'd heard the." about the Digital Nation thing as well, and they were really excited about that. And I was like, you know, maybe, like, you know, we can push the idea of you guys, like, doing a band and whatever. That could be really mm, cool and like, mm. a bit like Prodigy and blah, mm. blah, blah. Um, so so we, we got them over um, and, you know, introduced them to Paul, who had been going to drum, drum as part of Digital Nation and, and now was just, like my mate who was looking for a gig, basically. I mean, he wasn't looking for a gig because he was a sick drummer that people wanted to work with, but he was available, yeah. you know. Um, so, and, so that was kind of... And then I'd also just met a guy called Joe Oakley um, who had come up to me during an interview, right, that during the closing... It was an interview about the end of Bad Company and came up to me during that interview and just, just blew me away with, with the way that he was and I gave him a job... Um, and he ended up sort of running Breakbeat chaos and really running a lot of pendulum's day to day activities and ultimately went on to manage pendulum mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. well so we 've got to play we 've got to play a pendulum team yeah you. what would you, what, what what should we uh what should we listen to? and then there was a change. I know exactly. <laughs> so, you're not really giving me much much choice here,
3: Freddie. So, I'm, your, I'm, really just, I'm just, vanity, i giving you choice. Sorry man, <laughs> I was just I was
1: I was ribbing. I was ribbing more than anything. Yeah, what, what, what do you want to play, man?
3: This is your, you know, this Well, is I, about I'm going to throw a little spanner in the works here. Another planet.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Trailblazers, DJ Fresh.
2: to hear more of the music. Don't forget you can listen to the tracks in full by heading over to deezer.com where you'll also find special Trailblazers playlists.
0: Deezer. Deezer Originals Trailblazers.
1: Okay, so like we say we can't we can't really talk about breakbeat chaos without mentioning Pendulum, but there's another thing which I want to get into now, which is that and this almost loops back into Nick's first question, which is I remember, you know, when we first started hanging out and you were on a boat that the drum and bass community and the web presence of the whole thing was Dogs on Acid. Mm-hmm. And that was your, you know, your... Actually, I've never asked you this. Why was the, the drum and bass community called Dogs on Acid and not Breakbeat Chaos?
3: It always struck me um, as weird. So what happened was that <coughs> Dogs on Acid originally was um, part of the Bad Company website. It was like a forum. Ah. Uh, sort of on the Bad Company website and had started, well, I guess when we left, when I left Bad Company, it was already starting to kind of, like, burgeon. They um, had quite a lot of users on there. And I said to the guys, like, when I left, it was like, the one thing I really want is my, is my forum, because it was like my baby. Mm. Um, and because I'm a geek and I like all that kind of stuff. So they let me take the forum and then i decided to call it dogs on acid because i just wanted to give it a name that people would remember do you know what i mean yeah
1: yeah and that's interesting that you were really interfacing with that then because we started out this whole conversation with you saying expressing your reluctance at being online and talking to people and stuff like that
3: yeah i mean that's the thing right so that's what i mean like recently i've kind of i feel like i'm starting to and it's early days but i feel like i'm starting to find myself In social media and that self is kind of harping back to the days where I used to just do what I now do which is just like (laughs) talk to everybody do you know Mm. what I mean but I think for quite a long time I was just especially with all the pop stuff going on I just wasn't really sure how I was supposed to deal with that do you know what I mean and especially with a lot of these people that were sort of coming to me online they weren't even really like fan fans they were like people that listened to Radio 1 or capital and like hot right now do you know what i mean and don't know anything about my history or drum and bass or any of that stuff um but yeah you know so I, i was always very into the idea of building a community um and the thing that was really exciting about drum and bass and dogs on acid at the time was you know if you take yourself back to a point where there was no internet like there is now there was no facebook nothing like that and like people had no way really, except through agents and people phoning up on the f- telephone or maybe sending a letter through the post. I mean, mm. it's just. It's, <laughs> it's unthinkable. Letter, it? I do remember having an office and getting phone calls from. I remember we had a call from a guy called DJ Oxidizing Agent once who wanted us to sign his track. And I said no, just on the basis of the name
1: <laughs> DJ Oxidizing <laughs> yeah. Agent.
3: Like, no. So I don't care how good it is, You're not calling me up calling yourself an <laughs> oxidizing agent and expecting me to sign your records. <laughs> so like so yeah, so it was very it was really hard, you know, to connect and so we were kind of um me and Joe were sort of talking about, you know, how can we how can we turn this sort of like forum into something that helps communities in different parts of the world kind of like communicate with each other get gigs in different places and spread news and I kind of came up with this idea for, for like how we were gonna network the news from all the different sort of scenes around the world which we never really got to implement and I still think it would have been brilliant if we had done but we got we got to to do some of the ideas we had like one of the first mp3 stores and had like a dub plate section which was really cool at the time so you'd go and hear the latest dub plates Mm. um and joe helped me a lot with that and then went off to manage pendulum and had enormous really incredible guy and had an enormous amount of success with that um but so it was always something that i was really interested in um and then Mm -hmm. it was a phase where break chaos was getting very busy um we kind of needed help we couldn't. We weren't really generating much money because the only way to generate money at the time was through advertising, and you know your, <clears throat> your target market is drum and bass kids, most of whom are students who don't have very much money, and you know so it was difficult to monetize from. <clears throat> and also back then, you know, it's like we had a we had like say one hundred and fifty thousand registered users and fifty million page views a month, unique page views a month, which is shitloads. But, like, at that point in time, it was very, very hard to find people that understood what the potential was for that. Do you know what I mean? So I said to... Um, <clears throat> I said to... What did I do? No, so I was on my own at that point. So I wanted some support, some other people to work with on the site. Decided to go and find some people that I thought could be a benefit to, you know, growing the site. Um, and so was friends with Groove Rider hit Groove Rider up hit Adam up who just started the label with me and said you know how about we work on this together and I'll give you accuracy in it and Groove can push it on Radio 1 and we can use the power of Radio 1 which will be really helpful obviously within the realms of legality of course course. (laughs) (laughs) so so that was cool um, but Um, there was someone that Groove wanted to bring in who I didn't totally see eye to eye with, had different ideas about direction of the site and ultimately decided to leave um, and focus on the record label. So that was... I, I, I then had a... Actually, a few years later, I had another start-up with uh, a guy called Chris Parry, I think we've spoken about, he started XFM. I think, and The Cure was my
1: ex-manager. Yeah, 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 yeah my yeah, God, yeah. yeah. yeah also
2: uh, used to run Desire Records, really? which, uh, and I used to promote some uh, stuff on Desire, yeah, Charles B, Lack of Love was wow. classic acid so house tune, it was probably on your on your tape that you kept listening right, to. Right, so you, you knew Chris? I've met him once or twice. Yeah. So what did you do with Chris Parry then?
3: So <clears throat> we started, um, a friend of mine is an author called uh, Chris McNabb, um, he's like a, a, like a hacker basically, security analyst, um, okay, we came up with this idea, Chris was telling me about how he could stop people from sharing music on, on the peer-to-peer networks in theory um, and this was like during the explosion of LimeWire and the uh, early and Napster, Napster. Napster yeah. yeah, yeah. it was actually pre-Napster I think at that oh, right. point and um, so and I said to him you know if I if I got you some money and we did XYZ like you know what could we actually do something with this and so Chris invested in it and um, <clears throat> we had clients like EMI uh, Buena Vista who owned Disney Um, and we had a a few really big contracts like six-figure contracts but like it was so expensive at the time to maintain it was like a it's like a battle so like anything like that so it's like you come up with a solution you take down a load of stuff they find a way to change their algorithm so that they defeat your one and Mm. then and so it's like you just have to have this army of developers and servers and just cost an absolute fortune. And we were going into the record labels, and we, we were the only people that could do this. Um, Corda Marshall and all those mm-hmm. guys, and we, and we were like, you know, we've got this thing, it's the only hope that you've got of stopping music piracy, but it's going to cost you, like, 200 grand a year each or whatever. Mm. And a couple of them went for it, and most of them were just like, we're cutting our budgets at the moment, we can't afford to spend yeah. 200 grand on something that may or may not, like so we unfortunately went under right
1: you were ahead of the curve <laughs> ahead of the curve man and and musically speaking, was this around the time of exit planet dust? is this around the time when you were working with Mary from the gay bikers on acid? And, <laughs> and stuff? Yeah.
3: um I guess like that was yeah, that would have been sort of two thousand and six, probably two thousand and seven, two thousand and seven, maybe yeah. So that was, yeah, probably about the same time as Escape from Planet Monday and Nervous with Mary and, yeah.
1: Oh, Escape from Planet, yeah, I was mixing you up with the Chemical Brothers. I've, I've hybridised Exit ex, Planet Dust. And, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, well, should we, well should, maybe we should play something from that record. We should play something from your um, uh, Escape from Planet Monday. Um, Are you think thinking maybe nervous? <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: I, you know, I okay, like nervous, by mentioning <laughs> the records and what should <laughs> we play? How about well, we just yeah?
1: Well, and well, I just I just I you know I just remember that one because I, I supported the it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah yeah I know that track. Yeah, that was on that record. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I yeah. played that on, uh, on. I remember playing that on XFN. Um, is, do, was that your favourite record on 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 the on the Probably,
3: album? Probably, yeah, yeah, I would have thought so. All right, well then
1: we should play the immortal. That's it.
0: Trailblazers, <laughs> DJ Fresh. <laughs>
2: So I'm interested in how you became DJ Fresh, the number one hit maker. Can you tell us what happened? It's almost anybody who has a number one single in the UK once has done something pretty incredible. Somebody, anybody who has a number one single in the UK twice has done something really, really notable and. I remember you saying it back in the uh, at the front end of this discussion something like as a kid I was really analytical and I really wanted to figure out how how things work or something like that. It is almost like you cracked the code didn't you of how to have the biggest crossover success possible and I'm interested in how <laughs> how you how that? I'm interested <laughs> in, I'm interested in how you did it. Yeah, um
3: I mean, I definitely like talking about cracking codes. I guess like one of the things that's always been really interesting to me with music, especially with drum and bass, like drum and bass traditionally has always changed like over time you know more so maybe than some other styles of music where the production will change a little bit but the core of what it is is the same probably to most normal people it all sounds the same forever but like to me it sounds like it progresses um and the thing that like i think is really interesting for me about making electronic music is trying to trying to sort of like take whatever it is that makes it something infectious and something that you know makes you dance but refine that into like its simplest kind of like formula do you know what i mean i just think that it's weird because so much the stuff i've done has got so many fucking layers in it and it's so overcomplicated. and that stuff is usually not the stuff that actually does does so well Mm. but usually the simpler it is the simpler like you can and, and there's something about drum and bass, I think, like, good drum and bass, the classic drum and bass tunes, they're so simple. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's just, like, a bass line and a beat, but the beat has to be perfect and the bass line has to be sick and there has to be something about it that gives it a lot of identity. Um, and so, so that's definitely something that's always really fascinated me about it, you know.
2: And on something like Hot Right Now, you know, were you, were you gunning for a number one record?
3: No, I mean so. Well, maybe. <laughs>
0: well, what's so, her name? What's her so, name? Wasn't
3: well, she? Wasn't a thing. Like Gold that. Dust. Yeah, I mean Gold Dust was the first one. Really, like Gold Dust actually okay. sold more than all of the other ones. Oh uh, right, enough, but yeah. that Accord, didn't, just yeah. didn't chart. Yeah
2: as high it kind of hung around didn't it for a long yeah, time yeah we
3: did um, so what had happened was that I'd actually decided at that point to make the move that I made three years ago and go back and focus back on tech yeah I've like been doing these other things but doing music but wanting to do that as well um and so I decided to make that move and I had some health problems at the time I had like um a pretty rare tumor called an insulinoma I was having these really weird, like, symptoms, like, mental symptoms, right? So I would just be talking to you, and I'd just, and you'd be talking to me, and I wouldn't be, I just wouldn't be able to talk. You'd ask me a question, and I'd just be like, uh, uh, like that. And it turned out to be really, really low blood sugar, like, like, coma-level blood about to go into a coma, low. And it was because I had this weird tumour. And, like, the last thing that happened before... I, it got diagnosed. I went to see a million different people, and it was like oh, it could be this, could be that, could be that, blah blah. blah. Um, I was on coming back from a gig in France, and I was in a car with um, Lady Miss Trouble, who's like a drum and bass MC, and started having one of these crazy episodes. Then went and got in a car, tried to drive home, and passed out on the Hammersmith flyover. Ooh, <laughs> shit. caused the traffic jam at night time. Right, woke up. Luckily, I didn't kill anybody. Woke yeah. up and woke up behind the wheel with the radio. I remember sort of waking up and you could hear the radio playing and being like, "That's not good. I shouldn't be asleep right now. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on?" So I wake up and could hear police sirens and the I, at massive tailback behind me police coming down the other side of the road or whatever um the police came around my clutch for some reason had broken probably because i'd fallen asleep my foot half on it so they were like what's going on and i'm like uh my clutch is broken and they were like okay well we'll call the aa and i was like okay cool safe <laughs> and so you know i mean seriously dangerous but so then um and then i fell asleep one night like not long after this like i fell asleep woke up with a paramedic in my bedroom with a like syringe in my arm injecting me with insulin we still at this point didn't know what it was but he'd figured out that i had low blood sugar Um, and i was in a coma and he managed to wake me up with this my girlfriend found me like passed out and so he woke me up and and then luckily after that i was diagnosed very quickly but so it was a really weird period because i was going through this like Insane, you know, these attacks I was having, no one knew what it was, and traveling all over the place as well. Um, and then um, I was in hospital and I just made Gold Dust, and Ministry had signed the instrumental and said, You know, we think it'd be really great to have a vocal on it. Um, what do you think about working with Miss Dynamite? And I'm like, I love Miss Dynamite, let's do it. So I'd written like part of the hook already. And went in the studio with her, and like the the whole Gold Dust. I think the main part of the Gold Dust hook. So I think she'd sent me some bits, and I think at the end of Gold Dust is like this running, 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 running away. So she'd done that bit already, and there was a couple of little pieces. So I wrote the main like it's like Gold Dust hook, and I had like the harmonies and stuff in my head. So I remember singing her the. The thing, and I could kind of hear it, and I was like saying, you know, it's it's it, it doesn't sound that good when it's just on its own, but when you do the harmonies, it will make sense. And then I was kind of trying to describe the harmonies to her, like they were like little light bulbs going on. <laughs> so it was like, you know, it's like gold dust. And what was the harmony again? I don't know, I can't remember, but I had to sing like all the
2: original... We'll listen to it and it will become... It's so so weird because you
3: take the harmonies out and it just would be totally flat without that, do you Mm. know what I mean? But so anyway, so she sung that and it was kind of like... I remember playing it at the time in some of my sets and I'd never really had a totally full vocal tune before in my DJ set. Um, but people seemed to like it and I didn't really think anything was going to really happen with it I was felt like I was kind of on my way out a bit was planning on doing something else um, and then I was in the hospital having this tumour operated on and my mum came to see me and she was like you know Dust is like number 20 in the charts or something and I'm like what? <laughs> and, um, and then the next week it was still at number 20 or mm. whatever and mm. then it just stayed there and it was just like, you know, at number 20, number 23, number 24, whatever, for yeah. like a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even, I think, like, I met Andy Barley, who then went on to manage me. When he took me on, I think it was still still in the charts, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So, I, lo- I love the, tr- the
1: triplet synth. <laughs> That's what <laughs> yeah. I loved about it. I love the fact that the track was in 4-4, but you just had the... It was almost Led Zeppelin-like that you had this like triplet going on over 4-4. So,
2: so from a, out of a time of, of, of chaos in, in the health a- area and tailbacks uh, all the way from Hammersmith to wherever, let's just listen to uh, to Goldust uh, right now.
0: Trailblazers. DJ Fresh. It's like time.
1: sends me one that goes, "It's like Eddie is coming." Out. <laughs> <Did I really? laughs> yeah, you did
3: Still got it. I still got, got it. One. I've
1: actually got one that, that you've Mate, got. Even that you've like got play Miss that, Dynamite that. saying, <laughs> "Saying it's like Eddie," well, hearing coming really out well. your speakers, and I, that became part of my intro to my XFM show. Well, that's and so then cool. and when I supported the Prodigy one day, mm. that got put into this like my sort of DJ intro, which I hardly ever use anymore because I hardly ever DJ has got that. So that not mean
3: it. that I've got a version. Yeah. Well, I think I've you gave you gave, one one you gave a few Knowing versions. You gave a few versions. To... I would have made one for you guys and not made one for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Always the business. Yeah, passion, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So after that, I guess. Um, okay. So what happened was Ben Newman, the uh, director, had made the video for Louder and. Was amazing the video. Obviously, I had no input into it whatsoever. I remember seeing it the the first time and thinking, "That is, I mean, because it was like you know." Hold
2: on, it goes gold dust, and then what was the next release after it, gold dust? It was dust? hot right now
3: before louder. louder. No, oh louder. louder, yeah.
2: Oh, came yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So, you had the first dubstep
1: number one before you had the first drum and yeah, bass yeah, number yeah, that's one? That's
3: the classic thing about
1: Oh, it. I've remembered it completely the way <laughs> yeah. mm. I just assumed Hot Right Now was before. But no, it was louder. That's right. And like Flux Pavilion was around, was. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. Like Josh was just this kid. Uh, you know, I got him on my show when he was still at school. I think he's wow he yeah. you know and we were discovering him around about the same yeah, time you know yeah. his his dissertation was a freestyler's remix, as I recall, wow, yeah, which was what really made him
3: his yeah, dissertation insanely and it and it fantastic. kicked off it
1: just it became you know and then he ended up working with you yeah on that. yeah
3: yeah well so so we did so Ben Newman did the video, and then um Luke had seen the video which at the time had gone kind of viral relatively for the time and um, Luke and Abe were like you know we want gold dust basically but we want another one and I'm like what (laughs) excuse me (laughs) basically we want you you and Ben need to make another gold dust and it needs to be as big as gold dust and the video needs to be better than the gold dust video and we're like no problem leave it with us (laughs) we got this and then I'm like, "Fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> so luckily, I had this. I had this instrumental that was that I'd started, um, which was the louder instrumental. Um, and I got Sean Evans down to the studio, who originally was one of the people that m- was going to maybe try and co-write with me on Goldust. Um, and I think I had like part of the hook already written when she got there, and then we wrote the rest of it together. We were quite drunk that night as well. It was all written very, very quickly. Um, really crazy thing, actually, about that record that I've told a few people, which I think you got, might find interesting, although we've been blabbering away for about nine hours and you probably want to go home. <laughs> but um, I basically thought, because we just had Gold Dust had done so well, and I'd mixed this thing, we recorded it in one night, like in, in my, basically my bedroom at my mum's house was in between moving and stuff. And um, it was recorded quite badly. There was a lot of noise and whatever, and sl- everything was slammed into the red and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, you know, I'm going to take this seriously and go and get a professional, proper, top mix engineer to deal with this. So I went and found the guy who'd done the Swedish House Mafia record that, was, that had been massive, the one that came out yeah. around about the same time. Mm. Um, we spent an absolute fortune paying him to... To re record everything and spent three days re recording every single harmony. It was like the most perfect recording that you've ever heard in your life. It was brilliant, right? And then he mixed it down, and it was the most brilliant perfectly mixed song that you'd ever heard and it just sounded like absolute fucking bullshit yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah (laughs) and i listened
3: to it again i listened to the other one and i'm like this one just sounds like it's alive and it's like full of vibe and this one is technically perfect but it's just doesn't have it yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: these things are, are alive they yeah, are, and some, mean... sometimes you know that it's the human thing—the errors. How many times have we talked about this? Little glitches or little things that make make a piece of music sound human. Yeah, and it sounds like what your guy did was got rid of all of the you know <laughs> all the, the humanity, all the humanity. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. made it so perfect yeah. that it, it didn't reflect it was the, no longer louder there the, was no the vibe, yeah. softer
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so then it was back to square one in a way was it after that process so that so so basically we had these two versions
3: and it was funny because ministry I think were just kind of like just we love it just give us the fucking record stop for what, you, <laughs> what you're doing <laughs> and I'm like no 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 I want to just go the extra mile here because mm. I've just Come off the back of this, and this mm. is my moment to really give it. You know, it's like all your life you've just been throwing things out there, and suddenly there's the opportunity to actually really give it a hundred percent. Yeah. And unfortunately, a hundred percent was just too much. So um, I gave it to to Ministry, and they were like, "No, we prefer the other one as well." So we sat that one off and went with the original one. Yeah, hmm. for, for, with all its quirks and distorted recordings,
2: and it went to number
3: one. Yeah. Lent to number 1 mm. um it was, a was like a, it was like in the cinemas cuz they they were doing this massive campaign mm. won won quite a lot of awards i think the the advert and the campaign and everything yeah
2: and then Amazing the pressure moment. was really on yeah <laughs> <Well>, let us <laughs> hear it let's, let's, hear
3: it. let's hear it. have a quick listen to not Abby heard Lala
0: for, ages. for sure trail dj fresh it's gonna get it's going get it's gonna get
1: So, From Louder and your first number one, and you diversified because obviously you started out and are known for, and even at the time, your Twitter handle was DJ Fresh DB <laughs> at the time, and you always had been that. But I knew and you knew that you were much bigger than that or wider than that, that your brush was wider and your palette was more colourful than just drum and bass. And so I think it's a rather wonderful that you that your first number one hit wasn't in drum and bass. It was at 140 BPM on the half beat.
3: Yeah, it was very cool for me. Yeah, really cool. I mean, Pendulum had um, kind of come out of the gate and I think we're probably the first drum and bass producers to say, hey, it's okay to do other genres as well, you know, and I'd been wanting to do other stuff for ages. So when Pendulum released, um, I think it was, what was it called again, Out Here, or they did one track that was the, the b side of Tarantula or something that freestylers and- Oh, uh, Fasten Your Seatbelts. Fasten Your Seatbelt. Um, so for me at the time, that was a kind of like, you know, it's okay to not just do drum and bass. Drum and bass is, can be very, very guarded, especially back then. It was very like, you know, stay tuned to the craft, like don't, you know, don't pollute it with things. Don't mess that with the that, pro, yeah, don't know, mess with it. Don't <laughs> fuck with it, keep it real, man. So it was kind you know, so that was kind of tricky and I think Pendulum had sort of proven that it was okay to do, that there was a way that, as a drum and bass artist primarily that you could do other stuff as well. Um, and i'd actually started doing some stuff with decline and wizard around that period i did a track with um spider called steam which was kind of like a similar sort of vibe to tarantula but breaks and yeah you know similar big spidery vocal thing um and so so i'd kind of already at that point sort of been like okay i'm not i'm no longer going to be just drum and bass you know But when, um, (laughs) yeah, then Louder happened, yeah.
1: Well, no, after Louder, but then
3: Hot Right Now was was then your next single. Yeah, so Hot Right Now was, um, the instrumental was written maybe a year or so before that, and obviously Ministry were like, you know, what's the next thing? And I'm like, well, I've got this instrumental, great, where's the song? Um, just need to work on that bit for a minute. Yeah. At the moment, it's just an instrumental. Um, went back in originally with Sean because we'd had such a great writing experience on Louder and started writing. I had so I basically I think I had like the I had the idea for the main hook, like you know you're only in it because it's hot right now, hot right now, mm. um, and that was all I had. And I called Sean up and I'm like, I've got this sick like hook and got this really cool backing track it just needs like verses and finishing um and so sean came down we tried a bunch of stuff i ended up taking out all of that stuff and couldn't get it totally right and ended up going in with um some producers called the invisible men who i became really good friends with really talented guys Um, and they helped me write the verses for it and then i wrote the middle eight um, and then they said to me, you know, we've got this this girl that like we think is going to be really hot, like people are excited about called Rita Aurora. And I was like, it was kind of funny at the time because it was like we had like we had this recording of uh, I think it was Jason from the Invisible Men who tends to vocal their ideas Singing like in falsetto with auto tune turned up to 100%. <laughs> so it's kind of like a robot. It's like, you
1: know, I don't mean it because yes. it's not right. <laughs> it absolutely
3: horrible to listen to. It was like, like a drilling bridge. Yeah. You know what I mean? I remember playing it to ministry and then being like, uh, mm, you know, like, yeah, you know, maybe with a bit more work, whatever. Um, and so they were like, you know, we were like, we've got to find the right singer for it. And they were like, well, we've got this girl, Rita. And they're telling me about this girl, Rita, and I'm like, have you got a, any video of her or something? I they're like, yeah, she's just done this thing on YouTube and played it to me on YouTube. And I was just like... Oh, man, this made me really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, yeah, just like, wow. That's like it, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, I think it was like, I can't remember what she was doing, but it was just like she was just perfect for the track. Um... And so, so yeah, got it down to the studio and recorded it. And then I think like she just signed to uh, Columbia in the US, and Jay Z was her A&R. <laughs> so Sarah Stennett, who managed her, had said to me, "So we've now got this recording of Rita sounding incredible on this tune, but nobody knows who Rita is at this point in the UK." And um, so Sarah's like, yeah, you know, like, this could work, but we've got to run it by Jay-Z. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here just in my <laughs> life? Do you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> so
3: so, uh, so she's like, yeah, so I'm going to, anyway, I'm going to, you know, you guys are here, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be speaking to Jay in, like, you know, half an hour or whatever. So she's, like, gone off, and I'm, like, sitting there, like, fucking shitting myself. And then she comes back into the room, she's like, yeah, I played it to Jay, he loves it, said it's good to go. So we're like, great, and yeah, that was that, number one. So why why did you get so emotional thinking about that? um, I don't know, I guess just because, like, I guess just because, like, at the time it was so, you know, Rita was just like this kind of young, sort of cute girl that nobody knew who she was. Um, and, I, and I was just trying to find the right singer for this tune and it was just like the beginning of like something really important for her and, yeah. and also for me, do you know what I mean? It's just like a really special moment. When you think back to it especially, I just haven't thought about it for such a long time.
1: Yeah, 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 very, very special moment, very special record. You started a career that is, you know, massive. Mm. Let's let's enjoy that tune. It's incredible.
0: Trailblazers, DJ Fresh. Yeah.
3: I do tend to get quite emotional. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. I'm just thinking I've in in him once to someone before and burst
1: out and <laughs> Oh, I've done that before. Gosh, I, I cried in front of Gary Newman going through his, one of his records. Really? Yeah. That um, led, led to a lovely relationship with both him and his missus. But anyway, so hot right now. So you've now had two number one singles on the trot and you are just like the hottest thing. What, like one of the, the hottest things in in UK production and in, in in pop, and you've really crossed over to this to this uh, world of like you just said before we played that record. It's like what the fuck's going on with my life? Like I'm talking to Jay Z and stuff. And then because I know you, you know, so it's 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 weird doing a, one of these with somebody that you that you actually you know know and love. Cause you you sort of fell out of love with the whole thing, didn't you? You kind mm. of the glamour and the. The, the sparkliness you're in a place that everybody wants to be mm. at this stage you know every kid with a with a sampler and a, with the pro Tools or you know whatever wants to be where you are and you're there and you're thinking i don't really want to be here anymore
3: yeah i mean i guess the thing is like the way that we always used to <clears throat> the way that we used to make music and the way you know i'd always been self-released i'd always have my own record labels It's always kind of the master of my own destiny, really, for better or for worse. Um, I'd never had a manager before. I wasn't used to that dynamic at all. I was always used to, I had a great girl, Katie Tiavo, who ran bad company for years, who I probably should have carried on working with, to be fair. Um, And like, just the whole, that dynamic, the management dynamic, the record label dynamic, just the treadmill, really. I think it's like you know when you're making these kind of more underground things, you're 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 just totally focused on like I want to make this track that's going to smash up Fabric this weekend, hmm. or you know I'm going to make this track because you know Andy gave me this idea, Andy C, and I want to make you know make something for him that he's going to love or whatever. Um, and all of a sudden, it was like <clears throat> it was like um, you know what's the next thing the whole time. So there's pressure. Um, there's, there's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah, I think it's just a classic, you know, the <laughs> classic story that you hit yeah. a million times. It's just like the pressure. Um, I think like it's kind of confusing as well because like nobody at that point had really done anything like that from coming from that world before. You know, you'd had like Ronnie Size who'd been, he'd had some, some success. You'd had a Mercury yeah. prize, you know. But in terms of like that sort of chart topping, success Mm. you know uncharted territory yeah 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 yeah. because like
1: you say ronnie didn't do that gold he didn't do that you ended up being the guy that
3: that cracked yeah yeah um but it was like you know but then it's like once you're there you're like what can we do like where do you go from here do you know what i mean it's like you know that was for me i think always my dream with pendulum with everything else that we were doing was to try to try to get drum and bass to, to the top of the charts and then it was like now what is mm. it? Is it
2: <laughs> was it something of a curse? The you know the level of success would it almost have been, you know, because because that is the problem, isn't it? If you've had a couple of number ones on the bounce, really, where from here, same again or down, really, isn't mm. it? Because you can't go up from that. Yeah, do you think I it mean, was think like, of something of a curse or not? Is that over? I think I think
3: I think it, you could see it as a curse in the sense that it had a negative impact on me in some ways. I think that it, it, it was anything but in terms of, you know, both the effect it had on my life and the opportunities that it's given me. Mm. I think, like, there was a thing at the time where it was, like, um, this pressure to maybe go to America. And because I'd seen so many people fail in America, like mm. even Pendulum, you know, mm. smashed it. Mm. But more as a band. So, that again, it was a slightly different thing. And they hadn't really been able to crack America either. I mean, I guess the prodigy kind of did. Didn't well, they, they did,
2: yeah. No, they fat the land number one, you know. Really? But again, different era, you know. Really embraced, um, you know, by MTV, you know, the different sort of different stuff happening. But you are right, of course. That's you know the exception, really, one of the exceptions, because so often people go, you're hot, you're hot in the UK. You've got some big records now try and crack America and so and for record labels, incidentally. The you know record labels, independent record labels have success in the UK. Hey, we're gonna open up an American office, now we're gonna try and have it and just lose, you know, as much money as they've made in the UK, lose it trying to crack America. So you're right, it's a it's a it's a very challenging thing to do.
3: Yeah, and so I think like so we had Hot Right Now and Louder um, and louder was being played on the NFL, something or the other, like mm. all the time, right? And yeah. So there was definitely, and the Flux Pavilion remix was doing really well in America. Yeah. And there was this sort of like, you know, they are picking it up. You never know, but everybody had always thought well, drum and bass isn't going to work in America because it doesn't have that sort of like. It doesn't have, like, rhythmically and everything about it. It's just not seated in American no. culture, do you know what I mean? No. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, you know, do you want to go to America and tour America and try and do that thing? And I was just like, I just don't think it's going to work, do you know what I mean? And then on top of that, I signed a deal with Columbia. Columbia, then for what I have no idea why and still don't know why, but didn't release either of those records in America. So even now, you can't download Louder and Hot right now on iTunes. I'm happy to say that's something I'm doing about, something about this very week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so they, they basically didn't release it. And at the time, I remember saying to my manager, like, what, you know, why would we not release like one of the biggest records in the UK of the year in America? And the answer was, well, you know, because they think it's kind of like you've missed the boat with that now. And, you know, we'll do the next thing and whatever. And you can make something that's more suited to America anyway, probably, and whatever. Um, I think that was a massive mistake. I think that I think that track should have been released out there. Such a shame. But anyway, so I think I kind of felt like at that point I was kind of like, I don't think that this is going to, I'm I, you know, so hopefully one day somebody will make this work in America. But I don't think it's going to be me right now. Um, and so then it was really kind of like well what yeah where do you go from here do you know what I mean Um, and so I guess I just sort of like thought I I focused a lot on my live show I had like a a live band we did a lot of like you know big looks festivals and you know and that went pretty well Um, and then I decided to focus on DJing so I decided to sort of leave the band and focus on DJing for a bit are we at next levelism stage yet? Yeah, this is probably all around next. I think I think next levelism was at the end of Fresh Live. So Fresh Live lasted for about a year and a half. And and we should give a shout out
1: to Paul Kodish, who you, yeah. whose name you dropped earlier on because you know, he he was the one who as I understand it formulated the pendulum live show, you know, having done it with
3: Apollo 440. And then I'm definitely not going on record saying that, but like no. possibly. OK. Well, that, that, <laughs> One thing I can that. tell you about Paul is that he, he's he's a force, you know, and I think, like, the same, I'm sure it would have been the same with Apollo 440, it's certainly the same with what I was doing. He's not just a drummer, who comes along and, like, fucking bangs drums. He's someone that gets a group of people into a mindset and propels them into something, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, to me, Paul is like... You know, if I ever wanted to do a live band, I'd want Paul in it. You know, and it's got nothing to do with his drumming even. It's just like, he knows everybody, he knows all the tour managers, Just and just an all-round fucking great guy, man. Yeah. He's one of my best mates, great guy. And it was just so awesome to get to work with him, because we'd had all these years together. He'd been been with Pendulum, left Pendulum been kind of a little bit sort of up in the you know lost in the woods for a bit the le- after leaving pendulum you know it's a big thing well he got him. fired that's not that's yeah that's, that's not you know he got fired and
1: and and there was a whole you know unfair dismissal thing it was it was horrible it was a horrible situation but that gave him a chance to you know move to, yeah. to san francisco and like take stock and stuff and then it was really nice that he came back and came back in
3: your yeah, band yeah you know, it was great it was great to get a chance to do that and that was the thing you know so so yeah so for me at that point it was like this is my chance to do I've always wanted to do an electronic band this is the chance and it was awesome met Fleur who went on to have a lot of success on her own which is really cool um and um, recently it's been really fucking awesome you know i've been working um for for a company as a as a basically as a data scientist like doing ai stuff um something that i've been really interested in for years and i'm building an app around around the things that i've learned as well as some incredible people that i've met so it's it's kind of you know led to me getting a chance to to have a minute to go and suck up some inspiration from a totally different world and bring that back and now i kind of feel ready again and i feel i don't have any illusions of trying to really achieve anything because i feel like i've achieved the things that i the more than i could have ever hoped to have achieved now what i really want to achieve is just to be happy and make music that I enjoy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And now you're and, and now you're back to making really gritty drum and bass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the wheel has turned full circle.
2: <laughs> There's the gritty drum and bass, but actually, let's just before we do the the, the final tune, let's just talk about um, drive because we we didn't mention or we haven't yet talked about your cancer experience. But I believe that the well, I from tell us tell us about the history of that and how that that the the your, your most recent release kind of started its life back in that in that phase right yeah
3: yeah yeah so so I had um I think it was 2016 you'd remember right yeah we were working together yeah 2016 I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer and uh was told that I'd have to have my thyroid taken out and I mean, I don't know, man, it's like fucking... That has definitely had a massive impact on me. Like, it's one of those really weird things that you just wouldn't... You know, so many people I know now have thyroid problems, and it is a problem for a a lot of people. Yeah. I had no idea, like, how it can affect you and how those things can affect you. Yeah. But I think the combination of where I was kind of feeling a bit, like, just a bit stressed out, really, with music at the time was kind of like, you know, I'm enjoying... I was working doing some EDM shit back when EDM was cool. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) And I was kind of getting to work with like Steve Aoki and, you know, these people who like, you know, whether you like their music or whatever, are very driven, interesting people. Do you know what I mean? And it was it was a really interesting period. But at the same time, I was also starting to feel a bit kind of like I don't really know what I should be doing here. I've got a record label that's like, you know, we want you to make some hit records. Where are the hits at? Mm. And then at the same time, I'm like, I probably feel like I should be doing some, like, cool bangery kind of shit, but, like, where? Because now I'm playing main stages. And
2: and you weren't enjoying the touring process in that phase as well. That was another part of the mix.
3: Yeah. And, and, And then, yeah, so then I got ill and had this operation... And then after that it was just totally fucking knocked for six. And you remember, man, because like the the doctor said to me, like when I was having the operation, I was like, "How long is it until I can start doing gigs again?" And he was like, "What do you mean? It's like, what do you mean gigs? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, do you mean going back to work? Like, what do you mean, like go to an office?" I'm like, "No, because I'm a DJ, right? In it, so I've got to play on all stages and shit." Yeah. So. So um, he's like, well, I don't know. He's like, "Uh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) maybe like two months, maybe three months. I'm like, what about four weeks? And he's like, (laughs) definitely not four weeks. I'm like, what about six weeks? Maybe six weeks. Wouldn't advise it, but maybe six weeks. So we did six weeks or something, and I just clearly wasn't fucking well enough, you know. And I think even it took probably a year after that for everything to level out enough for me to really be feeling... I, I actually only really think I'm i am feeling totally normal now, do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's been a long process. And I think just all of those things kind of coalescing... Yeah. ..were the reason that I needed to just have a big, big break, do you know what I yeah. mean, which I've had. But so drive, like, when I was in hospital having the uh, treatment, I had, like, radio radiation therapy... Um, And was put in isolation and I didn't know this about radiation treatment but you actually get put in a in a room like a lead sealed room um, and the nurse will be behind a lead door when she's talking to you (laughs) it's so weird so I was in this room she shut the door and it just dawned on me that I was just like there was no way in fucking hell that I was getting out of this room I mean it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day, and I've never been to prison, thank God, and, you know, probably count my fucking lucky stars if I couldn't handle one day in a lead room. Mm-hmm. But it was really just, like, I just had this, like, feeling of, like, you know, whatever you want to do, right now, you're fucking stuck here and you can't break out of this room. And so I just started writing Drive, and that was kind of what the vibe of Drive was about, it was, like, you know, get me out of here, wherever here is, do you know what
2: I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in classic music industry, you know, sort of style, it's taken a long time to, from that inception point to three years later. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, huh?
3: Yeah, really crazy. Yeah. yeah.
2: But there you go. This is again, Eddie, we, we, we see these examples, don't we, In um, when we talk to other, other people on these recordings of ideas that start at this point and... It take takes two years, years or four yeah, years yeah, or whatever, yeah. seven years for it to come through, and it's life in music, isn't it? It's
1: yeah, the sort so of thing that does, does hearing drive now? Do you, you are an emotional guy? Does it make you feel emotional? <laughs> because you were, you know, that was a touch and go time for you. You you must have thought at, at some stage during that time you must have thought. I might not make it, you know this might spread, and this could be this could be the end
3: of me, yeah, there was like it was it was crazy because there was the one time that I totally lost it like during this period, and I just fucking broke down from it, and I was with my mum and we were driving, we were talking about so the doctor had said, you've got like stage five cancer in your thyroid, and you have to have it taken out like immediately <coughs> uh, and I've been looking online and there's a lot of uh a lot of sort of people like thyroid uh people that have had to have their thyroid removed that argue that actually there's an element of like this cancerous thing in your thyroid that's not totally proven to be a type of cancer that will spread Mm. and there's an argument there are people that believe that you cannot have it taken out and be fine Mm. so the guy was saying to me like you've got to have it taken out and I was like but from what I'm reading my life is potentially going to be a bit of a nightmare afterwards and it's not even proven that it needs to be taken out and my mum was sort of arguing obviously you know because she's great and she was like worried about me and she was like you know shut the fuck up (laughs) have it taken out that's what you're being told you need to do and I was kind of sitting there thinking like shit this is like one of those decisions that you know is like you can't turn back on um and so, yeah, I mean that was uh, yeah, that was crazy, and i think I think like it's weird because anyone that's had to come to terms with with dying right like with with like not being here, I think like the thing that you sort of that dawns on you, which is i think an amazing blessing actually to to experience in your life and then to come to be able to come back from, is that. All of this fucking bullshit that seems so important, you know, like, whether it's, like, success is, like, totally meaningless, but, like, all these other things, you know, that we spend so much of our time fucking worrying about, they just absolutely mean fucking nothing. So, for me, it was kind of like I was feeling really stressed out about everything. I knew I was so blessed to have the opportunities that I had. But at the same time, it was I wasn't really enjoying it. And whether or not anybody else can understand why you're not enjoying something, you know, other people would be like, well, you're having all these massive hits and you're doing all these shows. Like, What could you possibly have to be unhappy about? And they're probably right. But at the same time, like, I think the thing for me that I, w- I wasn't really happy about was that I was really sort of... had always been kind of like sacrificing a big part of my life, you know, for music and not... So missing weddings, missing important family things and missing my nieces and nephews grow up and whatever. And, yeah, just it just, just dawned on me, man. I was just like, this is fucking bullshit. You know, like, you can do whatever you set your mind to. You've basically proven that you can do the, this crazy shit that nobody thought could happen. And the one thing that you don't seem to be capable of doing is having a balanced life. And here's your chance. So, are you going to take it or not? And I just thought, fuck it, I'm going to take it. Do you know what I mean? So here we are.
2: <laughs> mm. here, we, here we are. Here we are.
1: And let's listen to Drive now.
0: Trailblazers, <laughs> DJ Fresh. Drive,
1: it's wonderful to hear that and to hear you know your story behind it and and it's wonderful more than anything else to have you still with us and th- that you're happy man and you you seem really you seem so much happier now than in the last time that i saw you you know and, and that, that, that and that's wonderful i feel the wheels turned full circle for you so let's let's um ask you the question that we ask everybody which is that uh so imagine the aliens have landed and they are surveying this solar system for this huge highway or something, and they are deciding which planets to, to destroy and which ones to, to, uh, to keep. Um, what, would you, what song would you play to them to persuade them? If you, if you could only persuade them with a song, what song would you persuade them to stay their hand? To su- so it's the tune to
3: save the world. Beethoven's First Symphony.
1: Beethoven's Fifth. <laughs> and what do you think that'll do? What do you think? And well, so yeah, how how will that make them feel? <laughs>
3: I don't know, but I reckon it's the best fucking chance we've got. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, well, before we play Beethoven's Fifth,
3: you know. So what's on the horizon for you now? Um, so yeah, new single. Um, just working on <clears throat> a bunch of new, very bangery, super underground shit that. Fucking just like the stuff that my parents used to hate, they're gonna hate it again. <laughs> I really didn't enjoy my parents liking my music. It was it was a really stressful time. I, you know, I want to spend more time with them and less playing the music, whether they hate it or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so working on a bunch of new music um, and working on an app, which like I, I'm so excited about. I can't really talk about it yet, but it's like it's the one AI of those. No, well, I mean, I've been doing, I've been working in AI because I find it interesting, but the app itself is, is, is kind of, it's a social network. Oh, right. So, um, and it's a new kind of social network. It's a mobile app. Um, I can't really go into too much detail about it yet, but it's like one of those things that kind of feels like it could potentially be a bit of a groundbreaker. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, so. a little bit of irony here. Yeah, mm. so <laughs> we, good. We, we,
2: we wouldn't be surprised, would we? We wouldn't. Could well
1: be. Wow,
3: so wow. So you, you, oh,
2: could, you could be the next Dust. Mark Zuckerberg.
1: It's cool,
3: called, it's called Goldust.
1: <laughs> okay, all right.
3: Perfect, perfect. <laughs> so if anybody wants to sign up for the very limited beta um, to be a beta user, uh, they should go to golddust.io. All right. Go.io. All, All
1: right. right. We'll, we'll that's, do that's, it. that's where we should end it. Hopefully, you'll be the next Mark Zuckerberg, but much nicer <laughs> and, and much more truthful and honest. Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh, and, Somebody um, said something to me the other day, so nice for the guys that work at Facebook, and I thought this was a really good point, right? So Facebook has got 3 billion users, I think it is. Mm. So in fa- Facebook, one in a million happens 3,000 times a day. Give me that again. One in a million happens 3,000 times a day because you've got 3 billion users. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So
3: when you think about how hard it must be to try and... When you think how useless our government... I think, like, personally, I think... I'm not defending Mark Zuckerberg, and I actually don't know that much about the specifics, and I hate the way that Facebook works. It was one of the inspirations for what we're doing. But at the same time, I think that he's doing something that's never, ever been done before, And when you think how badly our governments manage fucking everything, you know, I think he gets a pretty bad rep, do you know what I mean? I think, like, I think what he's dealing with is an uncontrollable beast, do you know what I mean? Well, don't get me started, because he's running government
1: ads without fact-checking them. Right. Let's, 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 you know, let's... And, you know, you could argue that Brexit happened because of him. You know, but yeah,
3: like- I will. I'm not. Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm. Yeah, I'm definitely not defending him. But I think what I was just saying, really, with that was just that we've, we've never seen anything like Facebook before. No. Yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah. Oh, it's, a, yeah, it's a phenomenal world, thing. Also. And,
1: and well, my point was, I wish you the the level of success that he had.
3: I can guarantee you that if I have it, it will be used in a much more. Uh, beneficial way for humanity well fantastic both Nick Nick and I know (laughs) know that that's going
2: to happen love you man thank you Dan thank Thank you so much and good luck with everything man thank you
0: Trailblazers These originals.